We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Good morning, afternoon, or evening. And welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Network. The following show is just... Horrifying. Beware. Sheriff, you're not cheating on your wife if you eat my lemon square. Your lemon squares taste like ass. Welcome back to Horror Queers. I'm ready for the Shriekwell, and I'm Joe. And I'm Trace, and I am ready for that Screamake, y'all. <laughs> this is our really wobbly introduction to part two of our coverage of Scream 4, which, if you are a regular listener of the show, you know that we will be going through the plot of the mm-hmm. film. And boy, oh boy, <laughs> there is, there's a lot of plot to talk about. There's a lot of plot. We haven't really scaled it back in the way that we normally do, if only because this is a big deal for us. So yeah, first time we've ever split an episode in two, and I'm kind of excited. I am too. And no, it's funny because I was editing part one this today, and I was like, oh, we start saying like, oh, like you, you can see on your phone, like how long the episode is. So hold on, mm-hmm. it's probably going to be long. And then we decided at the end, let's just split it in two. <laughs> yeah. No. Oh, shit. We're past the hour mark. Okay. Time to cut this in half. But it's okay, because so everyone, of course, if you are listening to this and you haven't listened to part one, uh, we would implore you to go listen to it because we have a Mm -hmm. lot of fun, juicy details about the production, the post-production, the reception and alternate versions of Scream 4. And Mm -hmm. what what part two is going to be is we are just going to be talking about the movie we have in front of our eyes. Yes, with the occasional sidebar to talk about some of the very deep bench uh, collection of deleted scenes. There are 21 deleted slash extended slash alternate scenes, and we won't go over the alternate stuff because we did cover that in part one. But yeah, some of the stuff that they cut out, I'm like, yeah, I would have left this in. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I'm basically saying if you want to do a drinking game for this episode, it's going to be me saying I wanted more. I wanted more. I just want more of this movie. And those deleted scenes are giving me little tasters. But, But it's a good more where it's like, I want more because this isn't working for me. It's I want more because I love what I'm seeing so much. Very much the latter, but also like I'm frustrated with the economy of the final film because I feel like we're not getting enough of these characters and I'm seeing what could have been in these deleted scenes and I'm saying, no, but give us more. These characters are good. We just need more time with them. I just, I do wonder because there are so many, because we talked about this a little bit in the reception yesterday, but one of the other complaints was, oh, like, you know, the the trio, they're off screen for so much of the time and watching Mm. it again today, I was like... I don't feel I don't feel that no only with Gail because she is attacked in that barn at the hour mark and then she is out 
out <laughs> until the very end of the movie. So yeah, that I get. But like all these people are like, oh, Sydney's barely in it. I'm like, uh, I feel like she's in it more than she was in Scream 3. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Anytime people say like, oh, it's just not that much Sydney. I'm thinking, are you watching Scream 3 right now? <laughs> but okay. So let's just jump right into this. You know, I, I, sorry, this is so weird. <laughs> We've never just started an episode going into the plot. So let, let, let's go. <laughs> okay, here we go. So we open with the first of two fake out sequences. So the first one is revealed to eventually be Stab 6. And in this sequence, we get Dimwit Trudy, who is played by Shanae Grimes, Canadian. Mm-hmm. We also have her sidekick. And I'm not Talking about Sherry, who is played by Lucy Hale, I'm literally talking about the electronic device that she is holding. <laughs> what I love about this, and this, these are the little details, right? Because it's a mm-hmm. sidekick. And you know people were starting this movie and they were like, it's 2011 and they're like, mm-hmm. a sidekick? What the what fuck? The fuck? <laughs> so out of date. Uh, yeah. Well, and they're talking about Saw 4 when Saw, the final chapter, quote unquote, final chapter, came mm. out <laughs> the year before this came out. But... It's because this is Stab 6, so mm-hmm. this would have come out in the mid-2000s during the torture porn craze, during mm-hmm. the remake boom, and the sidekick, which came out in 2002. So honestly, like, it's so clever. I don't know why Sinead Grimes is named Trudy, because that is horrible, but... That is an old lady name, but so <laughs> is Sherry. <laughs> but yeah, I, I actually do really like this, because, you know, there's a whole thing, like, with, with the first Stab. Mm-hmm. in Scream 2 where it's like it's really badly written yes which I love I fucking love it I love how the stab movies are just pale imitations of the Scream films not like oh they're badly done it's just as Ari said yesterday they're equivalent to the kind of cheapo generic studio films that we had come to expect yes but i don't fully get that from this i mean we have the stupid decision which is like don't open the door she's gonna open the door Mm -hmm. but there's nothing here on par with like you know i don't even know you and i dislike you already you know (laughs) oh my god how dare you speak that way about heather graham in stab one that line is iconic sir no it's it's so good because (laughs) it's so intentionally bad so bad yeah but yeah, so then we get Ghostface calling them. He is immediate. I'm sorry, he, she, they, whatever, like whatever mm-hmm. the, the the stab six killer is. We don't have a pronoun for stab six killer. No, we don't have a pronoun. But immediately, very violent right mm. off the gate, and I do think that's tying into the torture porn stuff. Oh, interesting. I thought that this was actually just setting the tone for Scream 4 because this movie is a hell of a lot meaner than the first three films in the franchise. It is, and you are correct. And granted, I mean, when we get to one of my favorite lines later about some uh, someone's eyelids, uh, <laughs> it's so good. But I, I think specifically with Stab 6, which again, at the time, we don't know that's what this is. We think mm-hmm. this is the movie we are watching. Sure. It's just so clever. It is so clever. And mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know, yeah, anything else to say about this first part? Because I, I know I've been going off. <laughs> I mean... One of the big things when Scream 4 went into production is they just started announcing this massive cast. Yeah. And just like Scream 2, to me, that that's the kind of closest comparison is when Scream 2 was being announced. And it was like, Sarah Michelle Gellar, Jerry right. O'Connell, Portia de Rossi. And like all of these people were like, they're all in this movie? Okay. And I remember when Scream 4 goes into production, it was very much like Shanae Grimes, Lucy Hale, Anna Paquin, Kirsten mm-hmm. Bell. And we had no context for how little 
or a lot they would be in the final film so when we see the opening we're like oh okay i'm i'm excited to know who they're going to kill off in the opening because of course the opening is always such a big fucking deal so i i remember in the theater being a little disappointed because i thought oh okay i mean sure i know these actresses but they're not big actresses okay okay I'm really glad you said that because I was like, um, because I remember that that was something people complained about. And when I say mm-hmm. people, I mean people our age and older. And I'm sure. They're, oh, yeah, they're not even really famous, which I, mm-hmm. I get they're not Drew Barrymore famous, but they were famous in their own right. Well, I was like, y'all, your age is showing mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it's Lucy Hale from Pretty Little Liars. <laughs> yeah. And Sinead Grimes from 90210. Exactly. And so unfortunately, you are not in the target demographic for what these people are famous for. And... Uh, Sorry about it. (laughs) (laughs) Look, I'm just making the Jamie Lee Curtis and Freaky Friday I'm old gif right now. (laughs) Yeah. It always bugs me when I see people. They don't really fit the mold for what a Scream opening should be. And I was like, because you're not Mm -hmm. watching youth TV, which, again, like so much of the stuff in the original trilogy, it's a lot of WB actors. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the whole thing that set set off the craze with that, that type of cast for a slasher movie that people seem to hate so much. But yet... We get it in 2011, which is doing the 2011 version of that. And mm-hmm. people are like, but they're not famous enough. <laughs> oh, 100%. Which is funny, right? Because then we move into the second, mm-hmm. which is Anna Paquin and Kirsten Bell, which for me was 100% like, there we go. There yep. are my A-list actresses. I got my true blood, Anna Paquin, also bisexual icon representation. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Kirsten Bell, who... I'm like worshiping fanboying over because of Veronica Mars. Veronica Mars is the big one, and but she didn't really become a household name until Forgetting Sarah Marshall, which admittedly was three years before this. But yes, like these are people know mm-hmm. them. And yeah. okay, so I also love this because this is basically like Anna Paquin is the critic, right? Like she 100%. is 100%. She's the armchair critic. Oh, and it's so the good. state of horror right now. And you're just like, <laughs> ooh, bitch. Okay. Which a lot of even the negative reviews did say that this was the best part of the film. I don't think it's the best part. I think it's a really, really good part. I like it a lot. It's just very brief to me. Like, I love both of these actresses and we barely get to spend time with them. But I think that's very much by design because it keeps the flow clicking until we get into the actual opening. It's also a PSA for not talking in a movie theater. (laughs) shut the fuck up (laughs) i'm legitimately i'm sure it's a rights issue but i'm legitimately surprised the alamo draft house hasn't like co-opted this for their don't Mm. talk in text in the movie thing (laughs) love it you know what there's still time for scream oh my god if only we'll let you know (laughs) so okay anything else about this before we move into what the actual film is uh, I guess just to quickly circle back to our discussion about Sinead Grimes with Lucy Hale and how I didn't think they were big enough stars. Uh, <laughs> I fully anticipate saying that once again, when I see half the cast of the new screen film, because as soon as that cast got announced, and it was like this big rolling list, I was like, Oh, Who? I don't recognize a bunch of these people. And then I was like, Yeah, okay. Good job, Grandpa. Well, what's actually, no, but what's pretty good is, and we'll talk about this more in our Scream 5, I'm sorry, Scream 2022 <laughs> episode on Patreon, a lot of them have actually become more... They have. ...known yeah. in the past year. Yeah. So, okay, moving into the real film, Actual opening with the actual Jenny opening for Scream 4. and Marnie. Okay, so my... my and I need an, an answer. I'm not trying to be snarky, but so... A, this reveal is great. I remember seeing this in theaters, and every time I show it to someone, it's like, what? Like, Mm -hmm. snap, seven. It got to the point where I was like, how many more times are we going to do this? Are they going to go to 10? Like, stab 10? Oh, 
it's so, so funny. good but i'm kind of on marnie's side here where she's like wait if the opening of step six is step seven so okay, it works for us right because we have oh, not sure. seen step six but my mm-hmm. issue is this if you are in this universe and you are going to see stab seven in the movie theater and the beginning mm-hmm. of the movie is stab six mm-hmm. what is the rest of the movie but you know that, so it's like, it's not subversive for the people in the world of the film, right? Like, it's like, oh, like, why am I watching the opening of Stab 6? I guess maybe it's like, the people in Stab 7 are watching Stab mm-hmm. 6, so Stab 7 takes place in a different universe than Stab 6. <laughs> yeah, I feel like we're meant to assume that there isn't a huge amount of continuity, which is kind of one of the jokes that yeah. Jenny makes, right? You know, oh, they kind of go to shit after 4. Yeah, yeah, no, that's fair. I was just always like, well, okay, but like, if I'm if I'm Marnie watching this movie, it really doesn't make sense if you've seen six. <laughs> mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah. I mean, again, I I think that's just a testament to how not good the stab movies are supposed to be. That they would try to do something like this, and it's just like what. I mean, and again, this is also really fun at poking at, I mean, not just the Saw franchise. This is really any horror franchise in general, because the second mm-hmm. we get that time travel. Like, oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's so I, okay. Good. So I'm curious, who do you think they're calling out the most with the time travel gag? I, I don't know. I mean, again, what would have been popular around this time is Saw and Paranormal Activity. I mean, they're not calling out anything directly, but I would feel like it's probably Saw, if only because Saw 5 was the first one to get, like, panned by fans and critics alike, maybe? Okay, but there's no time travel in that. Give me a franchise with time travel. Uh, I I guess I was thinking mostly about the kind of retconning that happens in a lot of the Friday the 13th. Or Halloween. Mm-hmm. <laughs> although now now that we're talking about it aloud i'm realizing actually with saw there isn't time travel but the way that it's fucking around with time like oh you know three mm. and four are happening at the same time and blah 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 yeah okay i could actually see that being the criticism yeah and i was like oh a panel activity six like uses some weird but, but that wasn't out by this point so it doesn't matter <laughs> right okay you know what we're spinning our wheels we'll move on we'll it's move fine on. it's fine we'll move on <laughs> <laughs> By the way, though, so I know Britt Robertson is your favorite actress. Ugh. <laughs> uh, how does she do for you in this uh, in this sequence? You know what? She's fine in yeah. this, mostly because she doesn't actually have to do that much. Like, mm-hmm. if there is a benefit to having actresses cast in these cold opens, it's that they get to come in, they burn bright, and then they get extinguished. So Britt Robertson can't do too much damage here. <laughs> No, she's fine. She's fine. Honestly, my biggest issue is just like, I love how all the actresses kind of look like their pair. Yeah. Scream loves to model like, let's give all the women chunky streaks. Let's give them all the same haircut. And Marnie and Jenny, it looks like they could have stepped off the set of either Sorority Row or Black Xmas. Well, (laughs) yes, actually, that is a very, very apt description <laughs> but also because i was like well, what were they famous for i guess amy t Gordon was friday night lights and Britt mm-hmm. robertson was on question mark question mark yeah no 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 so a when this came out she would have been on the secret circle that one season wonder uh, right, but, right 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 but before that started she was on another maybe a two season wonder called life unexpected with um oh yeah mm-hmm. yep. so again they were cw babies i'm sorry she was a cw baby amy t garden was abc NBC? Sure. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Friday Night Lights. Trace, Trace is like, I don't watch football. 
my mom did so i never heard the end of that show i just I, i've never seen a single episode okay i'm gonna stop everybody from hitting the send on the tweet that show is legitimately great no it's not about football let's move on no i have heard that many times mm-hmm. and i do believe it i just don't want to watch it <laughs> okay that is fair you're missing out it's a great show Anything to say about uh, Roger Jackson's ghost face in any of these scenes? Well, I like it. And of course, we talked about this yesterday, but we, this is the Craven writing that we get with more mm-hmm. of his dialogue because there wasn't a phone call in that original opening. Mm-hmm. I do love the, you're the dumb blonde with the big tits. We'll have some fun with you before you die. And I'm, uh, yes. There's something... It feels taboo for Ghostface to be saying tits. Yeah, don't be saying tits, Ghostface. It's it's weird. <laughs> well, it very much feels like, oh, Ghostface has upped his misogyny in 2011. Like, he's not content to just make idle threat. Well, I guess they're not idle. Uh, <laughs> he's not content to just make threats. He now also is like, you're a bitch, and I'm going to Freddy Kruegerize you before <laughs> I kill you. Um, one thing that this does introduce, though, is the app for the Ghostface voice. Yes, I'm glad you commented on that. It feels like a direct commentary on Scream 3. It really does, but it also works. I mean, uh, we, we know this. Like Whenever you introduce technology in a film... Danger. Danger. Yeah, it immediately <laughs> dates it, right? Yeah. And I feel like for the most part... I mean, like we get that commentary on with uh, Kristen Bell, which is like, well, I guess now it will be Twitter. I love it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And I don't think anything in this movie, and especially this opening scene, has really... It hasn't aged badly. No, no, no. Because I mean, granted, you know, maybe in thirty years there won't be a Facebook, but I mean, whatever. Let's hope so. If anything, it's it's Stab Six and Seven that are doing the dating, not Mm -hmm. Scream Four itself. Yes, and that's such a clever way to put that off to the side, right? Like, Mm -hmm. we're going to introduce this. You can say, "Oh, what's with the antiquated technology?" And then we're into the film proper, and we're getting sucked into the world, so we're not thinking about it anymore. Yeah, yeah. And again, an app. You're not saying it's not referencing like any particular mm-hmm. thing. It's just an app. And I do, I do. I really want that app to be a thing. <laughs> oh my god! Hello, you could be making so much money, but also we would all be in so much danger. Oh yeah, <laughs> like a scream would actually happen in real life. A hundred percent. Yeah. Mm. One of the things that I like about this opening is that we're already getting a lot of references back to the original Scream. Mm-hmm. So I feel like we spent a bunch of time when we covered Scream 3 last year talking about how it feels like it's closing the loop by revisiting a lot of things with Maureen and bringing the story back to its origins. Right. But I feel like Scream 4 is actually doing a really great job of paying homage to kind of classic references in a way that Scream 3 couldn't always deliver so i'm thinking specifically about how marnie gets thrown through the back door and it's like the chair coming through drew barrymore's window Mm -hmm. we've got jenny being stabbed in the back which happens fairly regularly in the series but it always reminds me of dewey stumbling out of the party oh see it always reminds me of jenny mccarthy (laughs) okay yeah that's fair and then the garage yeah and then the garage is the, the very obvious one well and i will uh, you know what? I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait till we get to some of these deleted scenes. Oh, okay. Well, because there is a stuff, there's a lot of commentary on like, you know, especially with the M where it's like, oh, you forgot the one rule about remakes, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. I don't get that as much in this movie as I think the movie thinks it's trying to push. Like, oh, we're okay. remaking Woodsboro. And when we get to some of these deleted scenes, I do think there's stuff in the deleted scenes that make that more apparent and easier right. to buy. Okay. Okay. I'm interested to hear it as it comes up then. Okay. Okay. 
So we get our title card, and then we open on Woodsboro proper. So we didn't really know exactly where we were. There's a mention by Jenny and Marnie that they live in Woodsboro. Don't they mention Trevor at some point, too? Yes. Yes, they do. You don't catch that on the first time viewing, because you're like, Mm -hmm. who the fuck is Trevor? Who the fuck is Trevor? (laughs) (laughs) I will say, and this is, uh, again, a score thing. When we get to the title card, and it is going to the sounds is something is worth to die for, I am... actively disliked that on a first time viewing like it just didn't it didn't fit the movie for me and for some reason now i really like it (laughs) okay cool yeah i i always kind of forget that the screen pour appears over the mask and i'm like oh okay we're like really bringing ghostface into the center of this story no, um, yeah, it's because we have the formatted title with Scream 4, although I do think is, again, another big complaint with this movie is that it is the one film in the franchise so far that doesn't include Red Right Hand, mm-hmm. and I do think that this probably would have been the best place to use that. Agreed, yeah. it It's tricky. I don't know why they opted not to use it, if they just felt like it was too obvious a homage or maybe it had been overdone. But it's funny, these little things that we latch onto as fans where we say, okay, well, I'm so excited to see where they're going to incorporate. What do you mean it's not in here? (laughs) That was really good. That was really good. Honestly, like there are certain things that you need to include in a Scream film if you want to survive your audience expectations. It bothers me less and less with each subsequent viewing, if only because, like, again, that tagline, new decade, new rules. I'm like, mm-hmm. you know what? It's fine. We're going new because, again, we have a new look. We have a new sure. soundtrack. It's still Marco mm-hmm. Beltrami, but like it's it does feel noticeably different than those first three mm-hmm. films while also feeling remarkably similar. Yeah, I really like the way that Ari put it in part one, where he said it feels like the trilogy is its own thing. And then this is like an extra bonus chapter where we get to wrap some things up. Yeah. And that's how I've begun to consider Scream 4 is that it feels like a gift. Like the movie that I didn't think we were ever going to get where everything about this is just a joy because I didn't ever anticipate being able to come back to this world. And maybe that's why I'm so forgiving with its flaws, which I mean, again, we've already pointed out some and we will continue to point out the flaws. But man, this this is the antithesis of it doesn't bother me. Yeah, exactly. Like (laughs) Scream just gets a free pass. Sorry, motherfuckers. Okay, so let's dig in then. So really what we begin with is a series of vignettes where we're just kind of quickly introducing a bunch of the key players. Mm -hmm. Some of them are new, some of them are old. So we begin with publicist Rebecca, who is played by Alison Brie as she is driving Sydney Prescott, Nev Campbell, to the bookstore, and she is in Woodsboro to promote her book, Out of Darkness. And she has not aged a single day since Scream 3. Right, she looks Fan fucking tastic, <laughs> and her her and Gail's outfits in this movie. Oh, the purple suit for Gail is the purple suit, and then Sydney's got this pink one that she's wearing to the book uh, reading, which I think Nev Campbell just looks stunning in. Mm, yes, yes, and you know we we talked about how critics were you know rude about the look of Hayden Panettiere in this film. Mm-hmm. I didn't see this really so much from critics, but I did see it a lot in fans because you know that fans love to come after Courtney Cox and uh-huh. her fillers. And this yep. is during season three, I think, of Cougar Town. And I will tell you all right now: a, it doesn't fucking matter what she's done to her face. Mm-hmm. B, she's actually you can Google it; like she's done interviews where she talks about how. A, she had her fillers dissolved, she had them uh, taken out or whatever. Yes, yeah. But she also talks about how she regrets it and, like, what what Mm -hmm. got her to that point. Like, go Google it. If anyone 
if anyone comes after Courtney Cox's face on my timeline, <laughs> you are getting blocked. Like, leave her the fuck alone. Yeah. Yeah, uh, we spent a fair amount of time yesterday talking about how we like to talk about women's bodies, particularly in Hollywood. There are certain things that drive actresses to change the way that they look and talk and dress and so on. Uh, you don't often see a lot of that in interviews with male actors, and there's a reason. Oh, yes, 100%. And also, I will even say that while Courtney Cox does look different than how she looked in Scream 1, 2, 3, I think she looks really good in this movie. <laughs> I think she looks great in this movie. Yeah. 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 Okay. So speaking of mm -hmm. Courtney Cox and Gail, uh, we briefly get a glimpse of her as she is basically sleeping in as Sheriff Dewey, played by David Arquette, gets out of bed. And okay, so insert one deleted scene here. I mentioned this yesterday, but I, I really think this should have been left in. We have mm -hmm. Gail brushing her teeth and Dewey's like finishing peeing. And he asks her if she's going to go to Sid's book signing. And she replies, well, has she ever been to one of mine? And he says, you know, oh, like, you know, I just think it'd be really nice if you go. I can't go since I have work. But then he catches himself and he's like, oh, I mean, not that you don't work mm -hmm. because she's trying to write a book. And she just like like throws her hands up and just walks away so it it's a little moment but again it automatically establishes that they are on the rocks which may make their quibbles as the film goes on make more sense mm -hmm. and it just again it's just more it's 30 seconds more of gail and doing yeah i think it gives us just a bit more insight i mean i think we can lose this and still very much understand where they're at in their right. marriage based on the other interactions but there's something about the only time that we see them in a domestic setting is when they're not even interacting in the final film if we don't have this deleted scene yes yes absolutely yeah. Okay. So as Dewey exits the house, he is almost run over by Kirby, who is played by Hayden Penetier, and she is not paying attention as she's driving. She is en route <laughs> to pick up Olivia, who is played by Marielle Jaff, and Jill, Emma Roberts, who is quickly established as Sydney's cousin. And then they get a ghost face call. And this scene ends with a jump scare as Kirby uh, nearly runs a stop sign and they get nailed by a truck. I will say that th th this jump scare did, did get me the first time I saw this movie because I, mm -hmm. oh, it, it, your guard was down because, you know, they're just talking in a car while that can happen and I 100% jumped. Again, it's a little detail. I love that they call her Marnie the Carney. Like, it's Britt Robertson. <laughs> it's so rude. <laughs> but I'm like, what? I honestly want to know why is she, like, what, what has she done? <laughs> to make her go marnie the carney <laughs> okay so my theory is that they all went to a carnival sometime and she either fell in love with a carnival worker or they felt like she would fit right in with the atmosphere <laughs> once a carney always a carney yeah and if you want to hear us talk more about carnies we do have an episode on nightmare alley where we also talk about snoozy mara <laughs> but she's doing better work at that than she is in uh nightmare on elm street this is true yeah so go hit the patreon if you want to hear yes. us talk about that so these new characters, yes, Jill, Kirby, Olivia, obviously, mm -hmm. like, we, we will talk about Jill and Kirby. Olivia does get the short end of the stick when it comes to screen time, character mm -hmm. development, um, really anything in this movie. Yeah, you could almost say she takes a backseat. <laughs> she, she really does. And I understand that critique, but for me, I'm also kind of like, yeah, but like, it's comparable for me with, like, with Sarah Michelle Gellar in Scream 2. Like, yeah. Sarah Michelle gets one scene in that film studio class, film class, and then she gets her death scene, which admittedly she has more to do because she gets that long ass phone call. Olivia doesn't get the phone call. So mm -hmm. I can see that. But honestly, for me, it's like, it's, I mean, whatever. She's a side character. Like, there's already so many characters in this movie. I don't need 
more Olivia. Yeah, it sounds a little mean to say, but I also don't need a little bit more Olivia if she's going to be the first death after right. all of this. Like she's she's basically the first main character, quote unquote, that we lose. And oftentimes it's somebody of this kind of stature, right? Like we get to know them for a scene, maybe two, then they're out. And that's yeah. fine. Would I have liked a little bit more to establish who she is? Eh, sure, whatever. Yeah. But if it comes at the extent of maybe getting additional scenes with Robbie or Charlie or Trevor or those kinds of things where it's like, these are characters who survive longer, yeah. I would rather have those. Yeah, and the only deleted scene that she's in is the fountain scene, which we'll talk about later. But like, even then, mm. it's like, eh, like, she knows movies. Like, that, that is her thing. Like, she right. is... They're all media literate. Let's yes. move on. <laughs> she gets the name drop, final destination, and boom, we're out. Let's go. Right. Yeah. Oh, actually, I wonder if that's the time travel. Um, this would have come out the same year that Final mm. Destination Five did. Okay, so, so probably not then. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, there's no time travel. Oh wait, no. But that is sorry. That is a prequel. Uh, eh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it was, like, it was like real time. I was watching the the cogs move around in your head. <laughs> Spoiler alert for Final Destination Five. <laughs> uh, that that ship has sailed. If yeah, you it's... folks have not watched it by now, come on. Shame on you. Shame for shame. <laughs> okay, so let's meet another new character, Deputy Judy Hicks, played by Marley Shelton. She is supervising the removal of Ghostface masks from around the town square. I love this visual touch. Woodsboro is this beautiful place. Like, Woodsboro looks great. I know it's not the same place that they shot it right. in Scream 1, but it really, really does look similar. And it looks so picturesque, but there's still this sense of tragedy every year. And also, these teenagers are kind of shit. Oh, yeah. Like, the town has such a horrible history, and you're putting up ghost face masks on every streetlight. With the town, to, uh, talking about how it's similar to, like, one, I think it's always this central, I mean, it's not Central Park, but, like, this this park area with a gazebo. And then we also have mm -hmm. a gazebo at, at the college at Scream 2. Mm -hmm. So... Again, like, even though I know the college is what, uh, wherever Windsor College is. <laughs> Fictitious Windsor College, yes. Uh, but yeah, no, it's always this central, like, gazebo park area that links them, except for Scream 3. But um, mm -hmm. Judy, okay, Judy. so we talked about her yesterday because we're like, okay, we love Judy. Her entrance, you know, she's like, her first line is, uh, oh, you know, I, I wish I was old enough to be part of the force and you were solving those crimes. Those intense investigations that really bring people together. <laughs> which okay i got your number bitch but you know she follows it up with that lemon square line which is like you're not I'm, oh i'm sorry as y'all may have heard on our, our new intro for the year mm -hmm. <laughs> you're not cheating on your wife if you eat one of my lemon squares and it's just it's so funny <laughs> honestly okay so i i said yesterday in part one I didn't love Judy as a character the first time around. Yep. I kind of thought that she was just a bit of a bland red herring. I have since come around to Marley Shelton, but it's such a funny character and such a weird performance. I was watching deleted scenes and Brian, my husband, was like, what is with her affectation and the way that she is saying things? Is she meant to be a red herring? And I was like, A, yes, yes but also yeah. B, that is just this wild comedic performance that Shelton is giving in this movie. And the fact that, yeah, she's basically introduced offering a sexual euphemism in the form of a pastry. What a character. But... I'm not saying that this weird thing she's doing is bad. I just don't know the reasoning behind her doing this and Wes Craven directing her to do this. And again, I'm not complaining. I just don't get mm -hmm. it. 
Oh, I'm very certain that there are people who probably watch this. They come in cold and they go, she's in a completely different movie. No, she is. And again, not as much as Mary McDonnell, but she is. Mm. <laughs> we, we also have reasons for that. Yes. Okay, so Gail is back at home. She is out of bed. She's kind of collected herself. She's at the computer. She's watching Sydney talk to fucking hell nancy, nancy odell, odell. <laughs> honestly there's something i would be happy to not have in the new scream film i don't need nancy odell to make another appearance in this franchise do you do you not like i mean i, I only know her from these films i literally had to google her and be like oh, okay entertainment tonight from 2011 mm-hmm. to 2019 but do, do you not like her for some reason is she it's just so hacky to me I see her in a scene with gail and i'm like oh gail is a mockery of people like nancy odell Ooh, I love scary movies. <laughs> exactly. Like, <laughs> okay, sure. Thanks for coming out, Nancy. I will say, and I'm getting like really specific here. The one thing that does bother me with this scene is that when Gail is like, I have no fucking idea Ugh. what to write. I don't like it. Well, I don't mind that. But what does bother me is that when the words finish appearing on the screen, she mm-hmm. is still typing. She's still typing. Yeah. <laughs> also, as someone who has struggled a lot with writer's block over the years you wouldn't write the whole sentence you would just be like blah 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 and then you would like <laughs> slam the keyboard down and go and get more coffee like <laughs> if you want to be accurate please i do i do because really because sydney and gail have an arc in this film well mm-hmm. uh, maybe gail mm-hmm. the most compared to sydney because sydney's is really dependent on jill right dewey doesn't really get an arc either Not really. If anything, what I've come to take away from the three adults in this movie is that they've actually gotten to a place where they kind of know what they're doing. And that's the difference between them and their teenage counterparts. Like, Gail is frustrated, but she ultimately comes to realize what she's good at is being involved in these murder investigations. She's not good as a stay-at-home book writer. Sydney is thriving as a survival person however Mm -hmm. you want to call that i was about to say survivalist i'm like nope that's not quite right no (laughs) and then dewey has really he's done the best which i think is why he doesn't have an arc because he's not trying to prove himself he is the sheriff he is the sheriff of woodsboro and he is going around just trying to ensure the safety and protection of the people in the town yeah that's fair that's fair Whereas all these teens are hot fucking messes. It's like a, a very gentle reminder. Hey, when you're a teenager, you're messed up and you're really focused on dumb shit like whether your teenage boyfriend has cheated on you <laughs> or whether you should make a move about the hot girl in AV club. Speaking of these teenagers, we are now introduced to more of them. Hmm. Yeah, so we transition to the high school and we are introduced to Hall Pass host Robbie, who is played by another Canadian, Eric Knudsen as well as Charlie, played by Rory Culkin, and they are there to annoy the girls. I have never put this together, because Eric Knudsen is Donnie Wahlberg's son in Saw 2, but he then is. we have that mention of Saw 4 in Stab 6. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Uh, so I had watched Eric Knudsen for, well, I don't know if it had come out at this time, but he was on a relatively well-known genre show in Canada called Continuum with Rachel Nichols. And he actually gets to do some really heavy lifting emotionally. And it's interesting to watch him in this because it's a bit of a bland character. Like I don't love Robbie and I have many thoughts to say about his maybe queerness and maybe not queerness, but Robbie is the character where every time I see him and Charlie in this movie, I think, I just need to know more about these boys. They don't have characters. 
Well, because the thing is, the Randy archetype mm-hmm. is split between Charlie, yes. Robbie, and Kirby. Yeah. And so, because I kept seeing people, like, oh yeah, like like Charlie's the Randy. And I was like, no, Kirby's the Randy. Like, oh well, no, mm-hmm. I guess Charlie is the Randy. <laughs> yeah. No, they. You're right. They really all all three of them are. And in that deleted scene at the fountain, Olivia is also kind of a bit of a Randy. Yeah. And so th- that's just the thing where it's like, I mean, Olivia dies early, but the non-issue you have with Olivia, where you're like, I don't need more of her because she's like one of the she's the first death of like the main cast, mm-hmm. is not the case for Robbie. And so it's like, oh, but like the movie doesn't. Give give him anything to do yeah i can understand why we didn't just have charlie because i think they were very actively trying to say oh randy does not become charlie and murder people right we really didn't want to go there that the movie fanatics are the people who kill people but in some ways i think it would have been more successful to have had a boy geek and a girl geek and just keep it at that yeah would have been simpler it would have had one less death or set piece or you apply that death or set piece to I don't know, someone else. But mm. yeah, I, I'm inclined to agree with you about Robbie. He's just not the most memorable part of this movie. Yeah, yeah. So basically, kids are acting like kids, and then they go inside, and we're getting little hints that Jill has a relationship problem with a boy named Trevor. <laughs> and uh, after Jill goes to bat for Charlie, I had never noticed that before, but Jill actually makes a number of comments about how Charlie's not that bad to Kirby. And it's, mm. I think, in hindsight, very much her trying to, I guess, sweeten the water or... I, no, I, I think she's being sadistic. She's like, let me push them closer so that when he betrays her, it hurts mm. even worse. Okay, you know what? I like that a lot better. Yeah, mm-hmm. so let's go with that. Because, I mean, again, spoiler, sorry for anyone who, like, I don't know, whatever. Um, Jill is a sociopath, and oh, she is uh-huh. gives no shits about anyone but herself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> she's a teenage girl. Yes. I love it. I love it. I love it so much. Yeah, okay, so Kirby leaves, and then we are introduced to Jill's question mark ex-boyfriend slash current boyfriend. They're they're in a bad place, Trevor, and he is played by Nico Tortorella. And I'm also going to acknowledge that if we didn't have enough queer content in this film, uh, Nico eventually came out as gender fluid. So we've got more queer representation in the cast. I really like Nito, Nico Tortorella. So I remember whenever they did uh, the Celebrity RuPaul's Drag Race, and so <laughs> many members of the queer community were like, shut the fuck up, Nico. You're co-. B- because Nico is in a straight passing relationship, and I feel like right. some p- members of our community really begrudge that, because they're like, oh, you're oh, taking always. our label, but you're mm-hmm. not, you know, fuck it. Like, I really like them. I find them very charming. It bothers me when I see members of our community go after them just because. Yeah. Unfortunately, they don't have a lot to do in this movie. Craven does say in the commentary that some of the scenes they cut out with them uh, were because they were pointing too much to them as a red herring. Yeah, I can see it too. I can kind of see it. I just don't really think they're given enough good material because the one big scene with Trevor that's cut out is the one with Trevor and Joel at the hospital. Right. And it's not a really good scene. It's really boring. So it's like... (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting. Maybe we'll just quickly talk about it here. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't remember having seen it before, but when I watched that deleted scene today, I thought, oh, part of this is actually really good because it does give Trevor a little bit more to do, but then it just keeps going and going and you're like, oh, yeah. okay, I think uh, I think the hospital security guards would have been on hand when the teenage girl who just got stabbed <laughs> is screaming at her ex-boyfriend in a <laughs> hospital, but... Well, 
one touch I did like though in that scene is that Mary McDonald is there and she like mm-hmm. motions for Trevor to come yes. over. So she's like in cahoots with Trevor. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, that's mm, okay. <laughs> so here, here is my issue with the Trevor character in general. You're right that Nico doesn't get a ton to do. And when they are on screen, what we're often seeing is Trevor being shady as fuck, right? It's always weird glances and kind of like menacing facial right. expressions and so on. And that makes sense, right? Screen movies are whodunits. We need red herrings. We need suspects. So Trevor is very obviously the skeet Ulrich of this film. The problem is that there's also this cheating storyline that pops up like that's where the friction between jill and trevor comes from but it doesn't ever get explored like we never know the nature of the cheating and even when we get to the end where jill is very clearly a sociopath her motivation is to become famous and be the sole survivor but she has that line before she kills trevor where she says i am not the girl you cheat on and i'm just like jill would not be driven by this because she doesn't give a shit about that okay i mean i know we're jumping ahead but no with that i took it as she says that as the reason for shooting him in the dick Mm. not for framing him Okay, I guess I just, I feel like it's an extra thing that the film doesn't explain and it doesn't feel needed. You are 100% correct. And you're right, the nature of the cheating, because because she says, like, you get a girl, you kiss her, and then you go out with someone else. I was like, okay, wait, so he, like, went out with someone else, like, on a Mm -hmm. date? Did they fuck? Like, what? What happened? What happened? (laughs) (laughs) I think it makes sense as... Ari kind of pointed us to this film began with the intent of being a remake sort of first and foremost like Mm -hmm. that was the original iteration when Kevin Williamson wrote the script and I feel like there are certain parts of the script that really reposition everybody as like Jill is the Sydney and Trevor is the Billy so that's why we're getting some of this relationship drama and when the film starts to move more into a a critique slash satire of teenagers and their fame hungry nature Mm -hmm. and so on some of that maybe needed to be either cut off or finessed a little bit more but I will say though that while I I never suspected Jill as the killer in this movie I also never for one second He's too obvious. Trevor's too obvious. Way too obvious. And it's just like, no, 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 no. Which is what surprises me. Yes, Wes Craven clearly identified we have too much of Trevor being shady as fuck, so we remove some of those scenes. But the problem is, is even in the scenes that he's still in, he's always just doing that. So you're like, oh, well, it's too obvious. It's obviously not him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So Mm. next up is the book thing, but there is one more deleted scene before that. And that is when we have Dewey and Judy and Haas and Perkins finding Mm. the bodies of Marnie and Jenny M. Holy shit. I remember the Entertainment Weekly spread with Marnie's body hanging and then going into the film and being very confused. (laughs) Where is this gore? Where's the gore? They had this image like everywhere i mean this was over all of was i mean also the mm-hmm. trailers like they had the fountain scene like it's really fucked up but also like this scene you don't need it to know why they go to the bookstore because they tell you we've traced the call whatever right. mm-hmm. but i really think that this scene could have been left in you know we also have Wes craven's cameo in this deleted scene mm-hmm. we have you know oh it's a hunting knife and you're seeing the, the, the as you say the cogs turn in dewey's head when he's like fuck like is this a random killing or is this 
connected to everything. Oh, interesting. Because that was actually the part where I thought if I kept this scene, I would have trimmed it to have not included the stuff with the knife because that doesn't feel necessary. But you're right that this would be Dewey realizing, oh, this isn't just a murder. This is the start of something new. Yeah, be it it connected to Sydney or a copycat, which even if it's a copycat, it's connected to Sydney. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But I guess I'm I'm just like, I can't believe that you would spend all the time and money to get these lifelike dummies. Because that Marnie dummy looks so good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and put in your back pocket, her Mm -hmm. being hanged from the ceiling fan is important. Okay, I'm intrigued. I have no idea where you're going with that. Trust me, and maybe you'll laugh at me when I, when I explain it, but we're getting there. <laughs> okay, okay. So we are now at the book reading, and Gail stops by. This is the first interaction that we've had between Gail and Sydney. And uh, yeah, you know, it's curt, it's fast, but it's good to see them acknowledging each other in a different way. Yeah, and we haven't seen them together, obviously, since the end of Scream 3, but I, 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 I always forget, because I hate this character, mm. where's Detective Kincaid? Where's Patrick Dempsey in this movie? <laughs> Boy. Yeah, I mean, I think the two characters who are absent who absolutely need to be explained is Detective Kincaid, who doesn't come up at all, and no. also Sydney's father, who we glossed over it, but I think we mentioned it in part one, that there's recognition that Neil Prescott has died between Scream 3 and Scream 4, but it doesn't make any sense if you don't have that in here somewhere, because why is Sydney's dad not mentioned in this film? That So that is in the Gale Dewey bathroom scene at the yes. very beginning, yeah, where he says, it would be nice if you came to her book signing, you know, it's her first time back in town since her dad died. And yeah, mm-hmm. it's like, that, that seems like important information that- Maybe just a little important considering everything about this movie reconfirms that the killer is targeting Sydney and it is about family. It's like, well, she has a family member in Woodsboro. We also don't really have Sydney, to my knowledge, acknowledge her mother in this movie, except in a deleted scene that we come <laughs> up to later. Yes. Yeah. Okay. It's these little moments, right? Where you're thinking, okay, well, she's back in Woodsboro, right? It's not LA. It's not Windsor College. She's back in her hometown. We need to address some of this family stuff. Yeah. Well, again, you have Maureen Prescott's sister as a character in this movie. Mm-hmm. Who's never been mentioned before until this film. Right. And you said, you know, in part one, oh, like, maybe Ari said this, but she's supposed to be the kid's sister. So she's like a distant age yes. gap between them. Mm-hmm. But it's like, ah, like, I Sydney want Sydney some... is still staying at their fucking house. Yeah. Like, the fact that we don't really get a Sid-Kate mm-hmm. deep conversation, which I yeah. guess it's like, what, slowing down the pacing or whatever, but... Always. It still would have been nice. I know. And these are, I think, the differences between what the fans want and need and studio executives saying, like, can we please get to the Olivia kill scene? We need to move yeah. this along. 100%. But also, we're right, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we are. Okay, yeah, so things are going swimmingly, and then Dewey sweeps in with Hicks and all the other deputies because they are looking for a missing phone connected to the crime scene. They open up Sid's trunk, they find bloody glossies of her book art, as well as a knife and a cellular telephone. Uh, yes. Oh, oh, the only thing I will say again about this damn filter. Okay. It- looks its worst in this scene specifically when gail walks into the bookstore Hmm. there are just beams of light exiting her body (laughs) (laughs) she's glowing trey she's radiant she's literally glowing (laughs) (laughs) she's never looked better fuck you sydney look at how good i look (laughs) i got these glows coming off my face fucker (laughs) shoot the fucker 
Oh boy. Yeah. Okay. So Sydney, her car is now a crime scene, which always reminds me of Joel getting his van impounded in number two. Mm -hmm. So we cut back to the high school. We're in the classroom scene that Ari mentioned with the original red herring faculty member. This is his one and only scene now. And the phones explode as everybody learns about the murder and reporters descend on the scene. And this is all very scream one right like we've got reporters back on campus doing their live reporting and the students are all just kind of mystified whoa what's happening yes and this is about when the fountain scene would have happened and it's a fun little homage to the original film Mm -hmm. i think the reason they cut it because yeah they're just talking that's all it is everyone except for jill is here yes there's a part and they they mentioned you know like you know laurie died in halloween's resurrection ripley died in alien 3 but trevor's like dude this isn't a movie and charlie Mm -hmm. goes it will be which is exactly what the killer is about to say to sydney when olivia dies Mm Hmm. oh so you think maybe it was cut because it's too obvious that it would be charlie yeah, I, I think because it, it's too close to that scene where I think okay. people would be like, oh, that's what Charlie just said. Huh. OK, yeah, because when I watched this, I thought this is a great scene. I understand why they cut it again for pacing, but this is the only time we see all of them together because yeah. Trevor really doesn't interact with many of the rest of them until the final party. And Olivia doesn't interact with any of them except for Jill and Kirby. But also, it doesn't really make a lot of sense, because when we meet Robbie and Charlie, they don't seem to be friends with Kirby, that Olivia, and Jill. So why mm-hmm. would they be sitting at the fountain with them, you know? Yeah, yeah, that is fair. So, I don't know. Okay, so then we cut to the police station, and this is where <laughs> the iconic Gale versus Deputy <laughs> Judy scene and then Dewey reminds his wife that she is not a reporter. So we haven't really gotten too much of a sense of the nature of Dewey and Gail's relationship. But this is very much like, oh, okay, so Gail is struggling. Yeah, which I do understand Dewey's side of this, right? It's like, dude, I'm literally the lead investigator. I cannot be telling my reporter mm-hmm. wife details of this case. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Like, sorry, just because you're married doesn't give you access to privileged information because it could actually compromise the integrity of any outcome. Like, if your wife is reporting on the scene before you arrest someone, that could be used against you as like a person who's investigating the crime absolutely like gail does not get that so she's definitely in the wrong here yeah yeah i actually feel like gail is kind of in the wrong for most of this and i think one of the reasons i don't like it is because it makes gail into a bit of a harpy shrew Mm, it doesn't bother me that much if only because i'm like well let's pretend that Mm -hmm. after her stab three book came out okay she had no, she, nothing. Like, she's, right. se- she settled in Woodsboro. It's her worst nightmare. Like, I don't disagree that it, she dips into Harpy Shoe territory, but I buy that that would happen to her after being in Woodsboro for a decade. Yeah. As I said, I think it's mostly just I don't like her directing it towards Dewey because right. I've always liked their relationship. But, yeah, I don't disagree that she would be frustrated. And, yeah, as we all know, you take it out on the person you love, so Dewey would be in the crosshairs. Well, I mean, he's, like, partially responsible for her being there, in her mind, right? Because she was trying to be in fucking Woodsboro. But I will say, uh, Gail gets some really good zingers in this movie, probably, like, the most Mm -hmm. out of any of the franchise. But we, yeah, we get the, or that you bake him those little treats, as you do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know why the delivery of that. And of course, the have you heard of the phrase, I wrote the book on this? Like, slam. 
yeah, there's there's also a line. I can't quite remember what she says. I think it's when she's saying, like, I solved this three times. And you see Dewey kind of have to look up, like, how many times One, have we two, done this? <laughs> the cogs are turning. Yes, the cogs are turning. <laughs> yeah, so Gail storms off. She says she's going to go rogue. She'll do it herself. And then we transition into this interview with Jill, Olivia, and Kirby. And I would actually argue that you could have trimmed this or done this a little bit more expediently. I think the only reason this is in here is so that we can actually get Jill and Sydney interacting. Yes, although I will say that Kirby's delivery of, it was the killer's voice from Stab, or, you know, your life, is really good delivery from Hayden Panettiere. I mean, I'm not going to say that the women run away with this movie, but the delivery of Alison Brie, Courtney Cox, Hayden Panettiere, just fucking dynamite on the line deliveries. So good. Yeah, but I, I do agree. This seems to goes on a little bit too long. But again, it's still it's still really fun to be like, oh, like the killer didn't call me, and I can live as long as her. Maybe mm-hmm. no. Oh, mm, mm, mm. but it's okay because this is just an appetizer for the Rebecca and Gail scene. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, so as Gail storms out, she runs into Rebecca, and Rebecca fangirls over her, but it's very similar to the way that Dewey awkwardly introduced himself to Gail back in the first scream, where mm-hmm. it's like, try not to call her old, even as you admire her. And of course, this is the closest that we get to an iconic scream punch slash slap between yes. two women. And I, I did hear on the commentary that they really wanted to work in a scene where Sydney could hit or punch Gail, but it just didn't work out organically. And I don't think it would have worked given the nature of their relationship. But I do like that we kind of almost get there with Rebecca and Gail. Well, and it probably would have worked in the, again, the, the draft of the script that Ari was describing where Sydney mm-hmm. was more hardened and abrasive towards Gail. For sure, for sure. I will say, because I was doing the math, I had to go look at this up. As listeners may know, you and I, Joe, are really big fans of Cougar Town and Community yes. as well. so good. So listeners, if you don't know, there was like a gag through Community where one of the characters, Danny Pudi's Abed, was obsessed with Cougar Town. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then he ended up getting a cameo, like the actor got a cameo in Cougar Town, but then Busy Phillips from Cougar Town went over to Community. Mm-hmm. And I'm like... I'm wondering, because both of those shows began in 2009, they both ended in 2015, and I just wonder if Courtney Cox and Alison Brie, like, brokered that deal. (laughs) How interesting. Yeah, I will confess, Alison Brie is the weird casting choice in this film for me. I wouldn't have ever thought to have put her into... A, a screen role, or B, this particular role. So it's very much casting against type. I think she absolutely kills it. She's fantastic in this role. Oh, yeah. But yeah, it's always a marvel. Like, how did you stumble upon this person for this role? I mean, I think everybody just wants to be in a Scream film, so she probably campaigned for it. But it mirrors, because, the hey, again, it mirrors Courtney Cox's role, because she mm-hmm. was playing, you know, kind of anal retentive Monica on Friends. Right. Oh, I want to play a bitch. Mm-hmm. Well, you have Alison Brie playing anal retentive Annie on Community. She wants to play a bitch. <laughs> Fair. Just let it be known to Hollywood. Actresses want to play the bitch. Let them oh, play the bitch. 100%. <laughs> we took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. 
Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. So we moved to the house. There was another deleted scene that happens before our um, Scars conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's mostly okay. The part Basically, we have Hicks going through Kate's room. She apologizes to Kate, and Kate's like, oh, yeah, going through all my stuff, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. That's whatever. But we do have this moment of Sydney looking at pictures of her mother on yeah. Kate's mantle. Rebecca walks in and goes, oh, who's that? And she goes, it's my mom. Uh-huh. <laughs> and Rebecca's on her phone the entire time, which really foreshadows when Sydney says, like, have you even read my book? And Rebecca says, well, you know, I was going to kind of wait for, like, the audiobook of the movie. It would have tied in better. But again, it, it, I just like this little moment of Sydney looking at pictures of her mom. Yes, 100%. It just would have been nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we don't get that. We just get Kate making dinner, and uh, upstairs Dewey and Sid are catching up. And I actually really like this scene, because when you think back to the other films, Dewey and Sydney are always really there for each other. Like, yeah. they have the others back in a very emotionally supportive way. So I was really happy that we get this quiet moment with the two of them. Yeah, I, I agree. It's also really, there's a smile David Arquette does when he's yes. like, when he reads the quote from her book, and he's just beaming. Like, it's just mm-hmm. kind of a really goofy smile, but it's so sweet. And it really goes to, like, the charm that Arquette imbues into this franchise. Yeah, like, we, we shit on him a lot because he's not as fun to talk about as either Sydney or Gail. But right. there's a reason why people like arquette in this role it's because he is bringing that emotional vulnerability and he's sweet he's such a nice guy and also all i can think about is it must be nice for dewey to finally read something nice about himself in a book because he's so used to his wife trashing him. <laughs> i didn't even think about that but you were spot on spot on oh boy so Sydney then walks in on Trevor and Jill. So Trevor has very much done the Billy Loomis thing of sneaking into wait, wait, wait. his girlfriend's room. I'm sorry. Do you want to comment on the scars line? Maybe I don't. we already did it. We did it enough yesterday, but it's just yeah. a weird delivery. It's just really weird. It's a weird delivery, yeah. And we'll again, if people need us to unpack it, we'll talk about it a little bit more later. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, Sydney walks in on Trevor and Jill. So I do think that this is the best that Nico is doing in their performance as Trevor because it's the right amount of menace, but mm-hmm. also you can tell that Trevor is fascinated by the idea of Sydney, and this really leans into the thing that Jill is ultimately looking for and willing to kill for, the obsession with the person who survives and what they're like in person and how they have a kind of aura that attracts people to them yes i mean <laughs> you're like well no but <laughs> no nah, i mean I, I i don't disagree i like it more when sydney comes in because for me this scene mm-hmm. is more about sydney and jill like, i love yes. that oh, moment yes, where, yes, yes. where she's like oh you remind me of myself yes it's really good and it, yeah like you're right this is mirroring you know billy sneaking into sid's window and scream one blah 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 but it it <laughs> Although I do like Trevor's dig, you're smaller in person. <laughs> it's such a dick thing to say. And <laughs> and very similar to what we often say when we see celebrities. Oh, I always thought that they would be taller. Yeah. <laughs> Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. <gasps> it's also Campbell. a bit of a meta joke when you know that Emma Roberts is apparently very, very short. So they had her wear lifts in all of her shoes for this movie. That is not surprising. Again, people are always like, well, which ones does Jill kill? Because the killer's never as short as Emma Roberts is. And I'm like, I don't give a fuck, man. Oh, God. It's a stunt guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, also, we will be playing that game. So, uh, <laughs> okay. Who do you think killed Marnie and Jenny? 
I think it's Charlie. I actually think it's Charlie for everyone no. except for the mom mm-hmm. and Hoss and Perkins. Okay, yes. Yeah, it's very much, I think, Charlie for Marnie and Jenny because he, at the end of the film, talks about the footage that he collected of deaths. Mm-hmm. And it could just be their footage, like him and Jill's, but I think it seems far more obvious that he is the one who killed them because he's talking about that footage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's true. Okay, so after Jill and Sydney have this kind of heart-to-heart, Sydney exits, and we get this very creepy <laughs> interaction with Judy where she talks about knowing Sid because they went to high school and they were in a production of Peter Pan, and it's great weird stuff for Shelton to play, but I really just want to highlight the lighting in this scene. It's mm-hmm. fucking amazing i'm really glad you mentioned that because yeah when we see judy it's like she's dark from the the waist mm-hmm. up like she is framed in a way that is very yes. menacing really happy that this didn't come out after 2015 because um ne- uh sydney prescott playing tiger lily hmm. mm. <laughs> sydney you've been canceled sorry another rooney mara joke going in there oh gosh okay <laughs> <laughs> But no, I, I agree with you. I think it is weird. This scene is weird. Judy mm-hmm. is weird. She's just a weird girl. <laughs> and, and, and I kind of love that because Scream, Scream gives room for some of these sort of character actors or second build actors to mm-hmm. play. Like I'm thinking back to our love of Portia de Rossi's delivery of like, Oh, hello pledge and yes <laughs> just like screen loves to give these little moments and i love that judy gets to do that but she is actually a proper supporting character in this movie like she gets a lot of stuff to play and i think that marley shelton it is so weird it can be off-putting but the more time passes the more i think god damn she is having a great time in this film and that's the thing too because I am shocked as much as anyone that she is returning for Scream 2022. I know, I know. I am so happy about it. <laughs> Delighted. Can't wait. I'm afraid they're going to kill her, but yeah. uh, you know what? At least we'll get a bit more of this character. I have my theories. I will explain them in our Patreon episode. I see, I see. Okay. <laughs> okay, so we haven't, I haven't talked about them. You have mentioned them, but let's formally address Deputies Perkin, who is played by Anthony Anderson, as well as Deputy Huss, who is played by Adam Brody. They are the two deputies who are charged with sitting outside the Roberts house. I like both these actors. I don't give two shits about these characters. Yeah, I don't really care. I I learned today that the the character names are Anthony Perkins, haha, Mm -hmm. and Ross Haas. (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) Uh, yeah, and there is more in the deleted scenes, like both with them interacting with Gail, with them interacting with Judy, with them interacting mm-hmm. with um, with Dewey. And I think, I don't know if having that those scenes back in the movie would make me care about them more. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're like Sydney's uh, bodyguards in Scream 2, right? They're just, they're, yeah. they're bodies. Yeah, except that they're cast with famous actors this time around. So I think that's mm-hmm. my issue. If these were nothing actors, oh my God, that sounds so disparaging. If these were less known actors, yeah. I probably wouldn't care because I would just be able to say, oh, okay, I don't know them. They're immaterial. That's fine. But here I'm just like, wait, why did we cast these two really talented actors? Give them frankly kind of garbage material and then just kill them off in not exciting ways. So it's the exact opposite problem you have with Marielle Jeff playing Olivia. A <laughs> little bit, a little bit, yeah. 
I, I needed triple the Marielle Jeff. I needed like doubles of her playing these two cops. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, okay, so yeah, they're sitting outside and this is where Jill and Kirby are talking to Olivia on the phone. They're watching Shaun of the Dead. Again, I do think it would have been more fun to have had them watching a different stab movie. Yeah, I agree. Damn it. <laughs> and then this is where Ghostface calls. So we start to get a protracted kind of three-way conversation. In the director's commentary, I think it's Hayden Penetier talks about how intricate the blocking of this was to shoot because they needed to be revealing the window, revealing the closet at very specific oh. times. And it's funny because when you watch it, it looks like it's just Hayden Penetier on the phone. Yeah. And then when you think about how cleverly Craven had to shoot this and, and get the timing right, it's actually quite the production. Well, the, I mean, it's, it's these little things that you don't, take into account when watching a film but you can see i mean even hearing that when it's like oh you can see the work that craven went to mm -hmm. make sure and we've talked about how craven establishes geography very well so oh, you so good when doing a suspense scene when doing a chasing you know who is where and what is where in relation to other wares and mm -hmm. i didn't even think about that with this scene but you're 100 i mean you and hayden panettiere are very correct <laughs> <laughs> yes it's me and hayden panettiere we're both always correct <laughs> so i will say this scene got me so fucking good the first time i watched this movie mm -hmm. in the theater because i 100 percent thought that he was in her closet never even occurred to me that it would be in olivia's like it is such a fantastic bait and switch um i what you're gonna disagree with me no, no 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 no. i think it's a really good bait and switch but for me personally because that scene of her moving the clothes in the closet was in every fucking trailer uh mm, okay. i knew that was coming i will say again on top of gail getting really good zingers Ghostface gets really good zingers because mm. one of my biggest laughs in this movie is when it's like the third time that she's like i don't know trevor's being weird this is fucking trevor <laughs> <laughs> bitch i'm really frustrated i'm trying to threaten your life right now can you please pay attention it's so funny but while i may disagree because again i saw that it wasn't in their closet like but mm -hmm. i'm not discounting the overall effectiveness of this scene if you didn't know that going in okay okay what did get me though is olivia's death scene like this holy girl holy shit okay. i have never seen a, a move like this in scream it is so bloody and gory I mean, we see intestines in her body. Yes. But, so, okay, so she is stabbed in the chest immediately. Then she's stabbed in the hand. Mm -hmm. Then she's kicked into a dresser. Then yeah. she's thrown into her vanity in the mirror. Then she's stabbed in the back. Then Ugh. she's thrown on the bed and just stabbed <laughs> repeatedly. Stabbed and stabbed and stabbed. The blood is everywhere. When Sydney walks into this room, because obviously, you know, Jill and Kirby are freaking out. I know people have actually taken screen captures of Jill on mm -hmm. the phone and how yeah. she is like hiding it yeah she's filming the murder it's so good mm -hmm. <laughs> never even occurred to me like the fact that people even thought to look and the fact that Wes Craven thought to put that in mm -hmm. so that if you paused it just right you could see his paint no sorry that's a different movie um <laughs> yeah I I again just hats off to Wes Craven for this but yeah when Sydney runs in because she tries to play savior well, wait, wait, wait wait sorry when sydney runs upstairs and like you know he throws olivia out the window there's a moment where it closes in on sydney and she mm -hmm. realizes what's going on and beltrami's score like the horns come in and it's like boom 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 this feels like the movie kicking into high gear for me where it's oh, like absolutely. all right yeah it's real <laughs> it is real and people are getting 
absolutely brutally slaughtered. I do love that this feels like, yes, it's a Jenny McCarthy homage to Scream 3 when she gets kind of thrown through the door during her Mm -hmm. death scene. But to me, this feels so Argento-esque. Like, it feels like Tenebrae. It feels like Suspiria. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. I mean, the Scream films are bloody, but they've never been particularly gory outside uh-huh. of well steve orth's kill and drew mm-hmm. more in that first scene i think that's the bloodiest the, the franchise has been until this yeah this is brutal it's rough so sydney runs in and it looks like someone has just spray painted the walls with red yeah. <laughs> it is super impressive i love that ghostface calls her she picks up the phone and her response is just what oh it's so I mean, th- this because again, th- this is the moment you're waiting for as a fan. Mm-hmm. Like, all right, when's she gonna get on the phone with this killer again? And yes, you know he's doing movie lingo. Oh, preview of coming events. This isn't a fucking movie. It will be. Mm. But my favorite line really is this: "I'm gonna slit your eyelids in half so you don't blink when I stab you in the face." Which is kind of another Argento reference if we're thinking of opera. Yes, exactly. Oh god, it's so fucking good. But yeah, th- this this phone call is just, and we get another one later, which is also really good. But this mm-hmm. phone call is so good. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right when you say it feels like this is the movie kicking into gear. And it's not to say that everything before it has been less than. It's not that it's uninteresting. It's just the stakes are now really, really real. Well, because at this point now everything has been set up. I mean, critics may have bemoaned the fact that this movie was quote unquote too long. Mm-hmm. But we are at the point now where everything that has needed to be set up in terms of catching up with the old characters, introducing the new ones, like we're done now. Yes. So yeah, we're go. into it. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also like the fact that Ghostface chastises Sydney for leaving town and promising that she will die when he wants. And I'm saying he because we know for a fact that it's Charlie on the phone here. Right. But it's, again, sort of establishing the fact that Sydney is the focus. Like, yes, Olivia may have just been murdered, who she's a peripheral character. This mm-hmm. is about Sydney. Like, hi, Sydney, I brought you back to town so that I could brutally butcher this young girl. Are yeah. you enjoying her entrails? <laughs> it's just, it's so mean and it's so good. And Roger Jackson's voice has obviously aged in the, what, 15 years, 16 years since Scream came out, but... Mm-hmm. It sounds rougher, but like in a good way. Yeah, like Ghostface has gotten older somehow, even though we know that these are teen killers. And, and, I know we're not quite there yet, but this kick to the face that Sydney does. Oh boy, yeah. Oh. So we, we just need to acknowledge, yeah, Jill runs in and she gets a pity me surface arm wound, much like Derek does in Scream 2. Yes! And then... Yeah, Sydney just fucking goes for it. And I think that's one of the things that people really respond to in Scream 4 is that the trajectory for this character, like everything about this movie is that Sydney is a survivor. She's not the Sydney in Scream 3 where she's hiding out in the country and right. she gets baited back into the action. This is Sydney literally running towards the danger to protect people because she is so done with being a victim. <laughs> I love this fight scene with Ghostface. They're falling downstairs, and she full-on fucking kicks him, and it is amazing. (laughs) Cheers. I mean, cheers. I mean, I I said yesterday, like, my theater was only a fourth full for this Thursday night midnight showing, but man, did the theater lose it at Mm -hmm. that fucking kick. Yeah, because this is what we have always wanted for Sydney. Like, it's not that the character has ever been passive, but 
a lot of the dialogue that we have had with her in the previous films is how she is the perfect victim. And this honestly feels like, hey, did you think she was going to do the same thing? No, she's fucking kicking Ghostface in the face now. Yeah, it's so good. I love this so, so good. much. Yeah. Um, so then other people rush in and Ghostface gets away. It's important to note that both Trevor and Kirby are very quickly on the scene. No one really questions, hey, Trevor, what were you doing so close mm-hmm. to this crime scene? Uh, but I do like the moment where Jill orders Sydney to stay away from her because, of course, yeah. we've had Olivia referencing her as like Grandma the Death and all these other things. So. Yeah, and so, okay, so I'm coming in now. We have a trifecta of deleted scenes. So uh, many here, yeah. So, yeah, we have outside, like, you know, Jill kind of apologizes to Sydney, but the first one we get is Kate runs outside, <laughs> she's crying, and she goes to Sydney, oh my god, I drank some wine, I took a sleeping pill, I, I didn't hear a thing, I was so passed out. So, that explains that. Yeah, I would have liked to have kept that, because there would have been so much noise with this attack, and everybody else responds, so... The fact that Kate is just not on the scene in the final cut doesn't make sense. But here's my one that I really wish they would have kept in. As they're wheeling out Olivia on a stretcher, Judy goes up to Dewey and she goes to something and she goes, oh, it's really weird about that pet door frame around her neck. Mm. And Dewey thinks, we don't see this in the movie. So I'm wondering if that's why they cut it um, because they, they didn't have it in the scene. But basically Dewey's thinking, he goes, my sister... Yeah. She was a victim in the original Woodsboro Massacre. They found her body wedged in a pet door. And then he goes, in the trailer line, these aren't just random murders. And then he goes on, this is a Woodsboro remake. So mm-hmm. that would be awesome to include in the film. But here's the other thing, and this is the piece I put together. At the press conference later, Gail asks, like, she raises her hand, she asks Dewey, she's like, you know, Sheriff Riley, whatever, what do you think about the fact that these murders are replicating the pattern of the original Woodsboro murders? And I was like, mm. not really. Where are you I mean, getting like, that from? Yeah. I had no idea. Well, if you add in that, that fucking garage door bit, right. and the bit with Marnie hanged from the fan, which is like Drew Barrymore hanged from the goddamn tree, it kind right. of makes more sense. And also kind of like Tatum. Yes. Yeah, like Tatum. And, and maybe Jenny was fucking like gutted in a chair somewhere. Mm-hmm. So that would have made more sense and make that line make more sense. I mean, again, it's it's not a plot hole by any means, but mm-hmm. it's very much like a, Gail, where are you getting this from? <laughs> yeah, it just kind of fills in a couple of things that have always made us go, what? But that doesn't entirely add up. Well, and I think even in our Scream 2 episode, I bemoan the fact that like we don't... We never talk about Tatum. Yeah. Never talk about Tatum. We get that one line in Scream 2 where Courtney Cox goes, Tatum. And yeah. then the bit in Scream 3 when Patrick Warburton is like butchered your little sister and then, but it's not dewey he's talking to yeah. so yeah this is actually dewey referencing the fact that his sister died in woodsboro the first time he has mentioned her outside of scream one mm-hmm. and i just wish i wish that would have been kept in and also i would have loved to see olivia's body with a fucking pet door around her neck <laughs> <laughs> yeah because i mean we do actually get a reference like a visual reference to it at the stabathon you can see in the background there's a donkey mm-hmm. door with a an artificial woman sort of posed halfway through it which is just so gauche but i mean it's not commented on it's not lingered on it's a blink and you miss it kind of thing yeah 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 Okay, so what we do actually get is Haas and Perkins apologizing because they were not really paying attention, which, fine, whatever. And then we go to the hospital, and Gail proposes a partnership to the Cinema Club idiots. So she says, hey, Charlie and Robbie, you guys are filming all this. Why don't we partner up? And they say, cool, can you get us Sydney? Because she's the actual star. (laughs) 
so there is another little deleted scene here before she goes to Charlie and Robbie where she she confronts Hoss and Perkins and mm-hmm. they're like, dude, like d- your husband told us no, like we cannot right. talk to you. And they go off and hang out with Judy, and then I think one of them just goes, good and evil, everyone has a dark side, and Judy goes, not Sheriff Riley. That's why he had to marry one. Ugh. (laughs) Happy for that to be edited out. Yeah, yeah. But then, yeah, so when they brush her off, that's when she runs over to Charlie and Robbie. (laughs) Yeah, they're the second choice. (laughs) But then she gets that great, because she's like, "Turn, turn that camera off? No, 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 turn that fucking thing off. (laughs) I'm just imagining Gail like having to demean herself by addressing <laughs> these high school boys and just being like, I am not putting up with your shit because we see more of it in the cinema club. <laughs> She's asking them to tell her where the stabathon is. <laughs> the circle jerk. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. So we see Rebecca is talking to Sydney and Rebecca is very excited by all of this action because she can book Sydney on additional dates because that is her job as a publicist and she she basically propositions sydney as a professional victim like you are now a victim for life we can make so much money off of this and this is where sydney says you know what you're fucking fired um i'm sorry but the way that she describes sydney's readers all those little downtrodden fucks who just need a light at the end of the tunnel just so they don't jump off a bridge yeah (laughs) Mm. like what uh i mean if you didn't think that rebecca was lacking empathy and more than a little cutthroat (laughs) i do think if we're thinking of the good and the dark this is kind of the path that gail could have gone down if she hadn't gone on a relationship with dewey like she would have ended up in this kind of role that rebecca embodies i love to it's not a reporter it's pr which honestly tracks (laughs) pr people don't come after pr reps i love you i love you but also sometimes you're a little cutthroat (laughs) you know what fuck it i have a degree in pr i have done some pr yes it's true (laughs) i think it's just it it's a different line of work that demands that you are trying to constantly be on top of every news cycle and like look for angles because you're trying to get your client into every possible limelight right yeah So let's follow Rebecca for a little bit as she is then immediately killed in the parking garage. And I just want to give a shout out to uh, Alison Brie one last time, because obviously we're not going to get to talk about her too much more. The moment that she gets killed, she is giving fuck eyes at Ghostface. (laughs) And I think it's hilarious because she has just talked about how Sydney needs to get laid and then she'll call her in the morning. And I'm just like, oh, this is a bit of like we've often joked about sex scenes and death scenes as being one and the same. But this honestly feels like, oh, did she have a little pity mort? Yeah. And I think Craven even comments on that in the commentary, too, where he's he like, does, I don't know what yeah. she's doing here, but, like, <laughs> I like it. The one bit, it's when he's talking to her, you know, she's like, oh, like, uh, if you want to be in the hospital, I'm happy to put you there in the morgue. <laughs> Such a classic ghost face. Like, oh, groaner ghost face. Come on. It does. Okay, my issue is it does sound like it has been cut. Like, it sounds like he should be saying in the fucking morgue. And yeah. Hmm. In some of those fan edits that we discussed yesterday, I guess someone found... I don't know where they found it, but some of those edits have in the fucking morgue, and it sounds better. so much better. Interesting. You, I mean, you know, like when you're editing something and like you cut a word out, and like if like the volume isn't the right between from one word to the next, like you can tell there's an edit. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel with this scene. 
Yeah, it's interesting. When I was going down my rabbit hole doing research for this, I came across and I gathered because we had a bunch of UK listeners reach out to us to say there's a huge number of audio edits in the release that they got compared to our theatrical cut. And it's weird because almost none of them make a huge difference, but it's all these plays on like just a word choice or this word is added in. And it's so much tinkering that when people said, oh, there's all these fan edits, I thought, oh, I wonder if they're just talking about the UK cut. You might be right, and I wonder if that's actually where they got the soundbite from. Also, mm. I'm sorry, rewinding, my husband did just text me. He goes, Ginny is indeed placed on a chair like Steve. Yeah, she is. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that Ari, either we are so fucking loud that Ari I'm can loud. hear us when we record, or that he just like, I love the idea of him listening with a glass against the wall, like, <laughs> when can I chime in here? <laughs> oh, he did correct me too. It's Mariel Jaffe, not Jaff, so that's also on me. Okay, okay. <laughs> Good to know. Good to know. Okay, so Rebecca is alas deceased now, and we mm-hmm. cut to Dewey's press conference, which is taking place in front of the hospital, and then Rebecca drops in to the press conference, literally. <laughs> and then this is when Gail uses the opportunity to make a shitty comment berating Dewey for icing her out of the investigation. And this is probably my least favorite of the Dewey-Gail interactions. It's like, a woman just plummeted off of the parking garage onto this news van and you're using it as an opportunity to say, mm, you should let me into the investigation. It's like, Gail, time and well, place. I think too, because this is right after she says, any comments on the fact that these killings seem to resemble the pattern of the original Woodsboro murders. Mm-hmm. Um, who is Rebecca mimicking? She's mimicking Kenny in the van. Yeah. So like, that- Gail. <laughs> You have a relationship to this particular murder. There is a bit of ADR here, though, when she's leaving, and you can just, like, it's clearly ADR name. She's like, move it, amateurs! <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Yeah, there's, I gathered there's a lot of ADR that got put into this in the various edits, because um, there's a lot of times where you hear comments, and it's just people kind of moving through crowds or that kind of stuff. <laughs> I would have liked a... <laughs> I was going to make a joke of... Rebecca, get off my fucking Gucciya. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> that is, no, that's a, you should have followed through with that. That was really good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's cut to the next day at Cinema Club. We've got Charlie and Robbie holding court. They are so delighted to have both Sydney and Gail in the audience. And this is where we get the mandatory compulsory scream sequence of talking about the new rules for whatever we are living through. And in case you were wondering why why the fuck is Sydney here? How did Gail get her here? There is a deleted scene where mm-hmm. she's like, hey Sid, <laughs> let's team up and work together. And Sid's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah, it's another one of those things where just having a little bit more of Sid and Gail interaction would have been appreciated. We don't mm-hmm. need it because we just accept that, yes, Sydney has been brought along to this because we heard them say we want Sydney. So if Gail is there, then presumably she brought she her. She got Sydney. Yeah. Yeah. But again, it's like you want more Gail and Sydney. That's mm-hmm. like 20 seconds of a scene that you could just put back in. There we go. Give us that 20 seconds. So what do we think about these new rules? Because really, the it all kind of boils down to the difference is that remakes are out, cliche is passe, and really the big new thing that people should be doing, it's two things. The major one is that the killer would be filming the murders or live streaming them. And mm-hmm. the other minor one is that if you wanted to survive, it would help to be gay. 
So yeah, this is our big queer aspect of the film. I don't really have much to say about the rules, honestly, because they're not really as ironclad or concrete as what we would get in Scream 1 or 2 or, mm-hmm. fuck, maybe even 3, honestly. I think those are the most loosely defined in terms of the rules. But, yeah, this gay thing. Yeah, so uh, this is one of the things we'll have a bit more to say when we get to Robbie's death. But one of the things that I noticed on this most recent rewatch is that Charlie says it would help to be gay or if you're gay, you're probably more likely to survive. And you actually see Robbie make a shift away from him when he says this. And I, I've always had a difficult relationship with Robbie and queerness in this film i've always read it as robbie is queer and that's why he says his line before he is killed by ghostface right so i read this as him saying i don't want to be outed so i'm just going to move away at a mention of queerness but obviously you could read it the complete opposite way which is that he doesn't want to be perceived as queer so he moves away from a male friend when gayness is mentioned Right. And uh, we didn't get to touch on this yesterday, but um, after Ari left our recording, he came back and I was like, wait, I have one more thing to tell you. And it was in the original draft. I'm sorry, in one of these drafts, the one we discussed yesterday. Mm-hmm. Robbie isn't gay, but he has a line in this scene that says, oh, you can kill gay characters now. It's social progress. So huh. okay. that morphed into you'll survive if you're gay. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> It sounds like it's saying the same thing, but there's actually a difference in the two things, right? Like, one is saying, oh, well, gay characters are not special enough. Right. You could just kill them. It doesn't matter anymore. Whereas this is saying, I I mean, I know a lot of people have interpreted these mentions, so specifically this and then Robbie's line at the end, as Williamson making almost like a casting condemnation on the lack of representation and queer characters in horror. Like they're so rare that you couldn't kill them because we so infrequently see them. Which the irony, right? 2011 to 2022. And look at all the queer horror we have now. (laughs) Well, and for the first time, we're going to have an actual out gay character in the new film so jasmine savoy brown's character is canonically queer she wears a pride pin in her movie poster for the new film yep yep i'm excited to see what happens fuck i'm excited for this movie (laughs) 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 but yeah i i I get what you're saying and it's one of those things and again we don't know how much of this was rewritten by kruger and whatever Mm -hmm. boardman guy um (laughs) but if it is Williamson, it does kind of come across as like, oh, like, why are you a queer man giving us these crumbs? You yeah. know, a little bit. I mean, I would take it as it's 2011 and we're still not quite there yet. Yeah. I mean, we're still getting challenged on, oh, you think it's a queer reading of this contemporary film? Like, I mean, folks, you've heard Trace and I talk about it before, but literally every time we post a new episode on Bloody Disgusting, we get comments saying, this movie's not queer. There's nothing gay about Batman Returns. And you're just like, oh my God, people, (laughs) we cannot keep having these conversations. So I think in 2011, we were definitely not there. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. I mean, I'm happy we're even just saying the word gay in... 2011 in a screen film because we sure <laughs> yeah. as fuck were not getting that we were getting home over press mama's boy before yeah that's true eh, valid point um onto bigger and brighter screams with uh Indeed. explicitly queer characters yes okay so the other big takeaway from this particular scene is that we anticipate that the bloodbath will occur at stabathon yes. 
which is the, the first time we've heard about it in this film. And I remember fixating on this idea because I love going to midnight movies in real life. I love movie marathons, particularly in a cinema or in a communal yeah. experience. So the idea of getting to go and see multiple stab films back to back to back, uh, the dream. Trust me. I mean, I've done it in my apartment enough, but I want it in a theater. <laughs> yes, I'm talking about something a little more grand than watching them back to back in our own apartments, because <laughs> I too have also done that, sir. <laughs> okay, so back at home, we have Jill complaining about being under house arrest. She keeps referencing, oh, I'm being locked in a cell. <laughs> and again, we have Sydney relating to her situation like, yeah, I very much been there. But, but okay, but I, once you know Jill's the killer, I love this little trade-off between them because, you know, we have Jill going, how do you handle it? Mm-hmm. People stare at you all the time? I feel like I couldn't handle it. I, I could never take that kind of attention. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she is gaslighting Sydney to the extreme. But she's also trying to get a take. She's like, oh, what does it feel like? Because mm-hmm. I cannot wait yeah. to be in your shoes yeah. in less than 24 hours. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot wait to butcher everyone I have ever known so that I can feel the glimpse of the spot. Mm-hmm. yeah she just wants to bask in it there is something here that i ever noticed though um until this watch so after jill leaves sydney like looks in the the window door and sees a reflection of someone in the hallway behind her mm-hmm. but it doesn't come in anything like she looks no. she's like i don't know whatever i mean you could read it as sydney making the connection that she is in the house with someone dangerous like oh i thought i saw the killer no you saw jill jill is the danger sydney <laughs> Uh, maybe Jill was like stuck around just to, like watch her before she went upstairs. Yeah, it, it feels like it could have been another scene that they maybe considered filming. Or just the idea that Sydney is a little bit paranoid because she's got her guard up now. Right, right. That makes sense. Anyway. So Kirby, meanwhile, is updating Jill about Trevor and also Stabathon because she has actually gone to this. So <laughs> but I think Olivia would understand. I think she want me to be around other people. <laughs> oh, my God. Kirby. I, I mean, we talked about some of the criticisms of the film from critics. And one of the things that I saw was, oh, how come the teens don't feel more empathy or how come they're not shell-shocked? I think we talked about that. And I could see people referencing Kirby's reaction, like, don't you feel like you're in danger? You're connected to Jill. Why are you at this public event? Your friend was also just murdered last night. But I've always read it as Kirby fancies herself a bit of an amateur detective as well. Like she's keeping an eye on the scene because she wants to be in the know. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But uh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) that was a journey trace no because i was like well like i was gonna say like well because she doesn't really know olivia that well i was like no no no, we don't know olivia that well (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah presumably she knew olivia reasonably well well and we know why jill didn't give a shit yes (laughs) jill's like i just need to get out of here so i can murder some people (laughs) but wait because we're about to get the most gifable moment with Gail sneaking into this damn Sabathon. Indeed, yeah. So Gail has figured out where Sabathon is occurring, even though it is a secret location. So she lands on Planet Dork, and uh, <laughs> she is dressed as Ghostface. Apparently, as always on movie sets, they were not playing music. So Wes Craven told Courtney Cox to just dance like she was listening to something funky. I... <laughs> The thumb, the double thumbs up as she's just like fucking swaying. It is so stupid. Mm-hmm. And it's so 
awesome. I Oh, it's fantastic. It's like I the will... ultimate, oh, you're an old person trying to go undercover as a teenager. Well, and I will say too, because the trailer has the moment when she pulls the mask off. And I remember everyone was like, oh my God, is Gail the killer? And I was like, okay, if Gail's yeah. the killer, they're going to fucking put that shot in the trailer, like get a life. <laughs> but it was really good. <laughs> it is, yeah. So she is there to set up camera so that she can surveil the party and keep an eye on what's happening. So she goes, she puts them up in all these different places, and then she gets back to her car and just sees they're immediately being covered up by Ghostface. I think this sequence is really, really good. I think it is outside of the Olivia, like, you know, what you're saying, how effective and tense it is. Mm -hmm. I think this is really tense, but only because we are so worried for Gale in these moments. Hard, hard agree. I was convinced that they were going to kill one of the three originals when I mm -hmm. saw this, and I was convinced it was going to be Gale, particularly because of this moment. Like, yeah. it seems the most obvious way that if you're going to get rid of one of the three, this is it. There's also, I mean, okay, yeah, we have the killer, you know, covering the things, and we, but we get this again, the, for the first of two times in this movie, this backwards camera reveal of the killer. Mm -hmm. But... What I also love is that it's play. It's kind of calling back to Scream 2 because she's getting attacked while Heather Graham is getting attacked in the movie. Yes. And I can never tell which screams are Courtney Cox's and which mm. screams are Heather Graham's. Oh, interesting. I never really thought of it that way, but yeah. I mean, I love the symmetry. It's a great callback, but it's also just a fantastic set piece. My mm -hmm. criticism is always just that it's too brief. I wanted yeah. more of a chase scene, more of a fight scene between Gale and, I mean, we know it's Charlie at this moment, but right. I mean, she gets stabbed in the shoulder. She falls off the second story loft onto a bale of hay. It looks very painful. Dewey is there. He starts shooting. It's just a little too abrupt for me. I want more. Actually, this could be Jill. No, Jill is still at the house because she's got to kill her mom. Fuck, right. I was like, because she would stab her. Because there was never an intention to kill Gail. Because Jill wanted to write that book with her. Uh, to be honest, I wouldn't have been surprised if Jill had been... <laughs> you know what? I'll write the book myself. Fuck you, you're dead. It's fine. Now, okay, of course, the, the, the big thing that's in the trailer that is not in this movie is Gail's go-ahead-if-you-have-the-guts line. Mm, you miss it, don't you? I don't like it in the trailer. I remember seeing it, and I was like, why the fuck would she say that? There is a fan edit, of course, that incorporates it back in. Naturally. I will say that in practice, I do like it. I think it okay. works. Okay. But again, mileage may vary. I like it because it seems like the kind of thing that Gail would say. You know, mm -hmm. I don't think Gail ever wants to die. I think she always also fancies herself a survivor, but she is not going to take shit even when threatened with death. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we okay. saw that with number two, right? No, it's like if she thinks she's like literally about to die, then she's going to go out fighting. Yeah, absolutely. For I sure. will say one of my least favorites. So there's there's a couple of kind of clunker sort of lines or moments in this movie for me. Yeah. One of them is when in between Gail realizing that her cameras are being covered up and deciding to go back in and she gets attacked. She calls Dewey, Dewey. and says like, hey, this is all going down at Stabathon. You need to get here. And she says meta and he goes what is that and she goes i don't know all the kids are saying it and i'm just like nope gail would absolutely know what meta is oh, i don't for a second believe that she wouldn't understand that term okay that that makes i do i actually do like the exchange because i think it's funny but your rationale does make sense i dewey well like he does i say get the dewey not getting it but gail yeah. would 100 percent be on top of that lingo i will confess in 2011 when i saw this movie i did not 
know what meta was. <laughs> really? Okay. I, I have no idea. I mean, meta textual. There you go. Yes. But yeah, for some reason, 20-year-old Trace did not know what that meant. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have established that 20-year-old Trace was a bit of a dum-dum. Yeah, I was not very smart. <laughs> <laughs> I kid. I kid. No, it's fine. Wait, 22. I'm sorry. 22-year-old Trace. Oh, my God. <laughs> Pretend like I said 20. <laughs> what is time? What is time? So, okay, Gale has been stabbed in the shoulder. Dewey has more or less rescued her. Stabavon is now over. We all thought this was going to be where the end of the movie takes place because that's what Scream does, right? Mm -hmm. We get to the party and then we spend the entire climax there. And for the first time ever, no, that's not what we're doing. And the timestamp works out because this party starts or Gale gets stabbed at the one hour mark. And that Mm -hmm. is exactly when the party starts in the first film. Yes. Yeah. So I I love, again, we're still doing subversive things. You thought you knew where this was going. No, you didn't. And that's why those reviews are like, we're just doing a retread of the first movie. I'm like, no, we're not. (laughs) Again, it's tell me you don't know Scream without telling me you don't know Scream. Yep. Okay, so we have to cut back to the house for a little bit. We've got Haas and Perkins talking about movie cop cliches. And then Haas spots an open window while he's on patrol. This is also where Sydney removes a fucking set of wind chimes. (laughs) All of this is just a little bit nonsense. We're trying to build up some suspense and tension, and it's fine. I just don't care about any of it. Like, it's hard to go from Gail being threatened to this pair of Barney Fifish cops. Yeah, and I mean, hey, look, we will skip over it. Like, they get killed. Mm -hmm. We get a fuck Bruce Willis line. A lot of the fan edits remove that line. It's very smart. Thank God. Like, whatever they're, they're out of the movie mm-hmm. yeah it's just not my favorite sequence of the film let's move on yeah so sydney is then startled by kate who has come home with groceries and this is where we learn that gail has been attacked on the news and then uh, Ghostface calls <laughs> no because Ghostface calls her and says turn on the news <laughs> oh my god turn on the news <laughs> and that's uh, the mom in scream three be a good dear and do what your mother tells you. Turn on the news. <laughs> Honestly, Sydney's like, if somebody tells me to turn on the fucking news one more time, I will blow a shit fit. <laughs> oh my, I hope that happens in Scream 2022. <laughs> She's just like, no, I will no. not turn on the news. <laughs> I don't want to know. <laughs> also, I don't have cable. I don't even know how to get the news anymore. Oh my god. Is that on Hulu TV? (laughs) (laughs) What channel is that? Uh, Siri, how do I get the news? Oh, she just goes on Twitter and she's like, can anyone tell me how to get this? Is it streaming? Where can I get it? (laughs) Just go to Just Watch, Sydney. This is also, this is the the last big phone call we get between Sydney and Ghostface. And I do like Mm -hmm. this as well, because it's when he, they, they lean in on the whole, oh, it's, we're going after your family and Mm -hmm. blah, 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 blah. Which I think makes sense because this is very, I read this as Jill making the call. Yes, I I, I do as well. 100%. So because she has gotten a threatening phone call about family, Sydney runs upstairs, finds that Jill has left. This is when Ghostface then attacks well, she, she, yeah, she is left because she is killing Haas and yes. Perkins. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she is also killing her mom through the mail slot, which I was very unsatisfied about in 2011, the first time I saw this. I thought it was such a mediocre death. I think it was more about the fact that I didn't know who Kate was, and yep. it felt like this moment gets a lot of emotional components. Like, Sydney is 
upset by this, although we do have to move on rather quickly. It seems like this is a bigger death than, say, Haas or Perkins. Yeah. And I just didn't really understand why, although I did love the idea of someone getting stabbed through a mail slot. Yeah, no, the the, the method of murder, I think, is really cool. And I knew it was coming as soon as she strung down. I was like, oh, "Oh, Mm -hmm. girl. Yeah. But... I, I I do think also her tell Jill I'm mm-hmm. sorry kind of ruins it and I'm also like sorry oh, for what okay hmm interesting yeah, I, well but, but it's because the emotional I don't know her right. relationship with Jill well we barely get a scene between mother and daughter in this final edit right there's mm-hmm. the moment where she's making dinner and that's it yeah exactly and so that's when I tell John I'm sorry I was like okay, sorry for what like for being a pill popper for being a drunk for like what like <laughs> sydney didn't ask for clarification yeah <laughs> for dying i'm sorry for dying i don't know about you but if i felt like i was maybe even potentially in danger of being killed i'm not gonna go get groceries in the middle of the night well i mean she's drunk so wow okay yes she is <laughs> i mean i don't read her as drunk all the time Trace. I, I, this performance is just so bizarre <laughs> it is yes it's a little it's different okay so uh we got deputy hicks arriving on the scene realizing that there's been another murder this is the moment where we can kind of knock judy hicks out yeah. of the suspect list because she calls i mean she calls dewey and immediately seems like oh shit there's been more murders and i do like the line though when she's like because dewey's like what happened she goes stabbed just like the others and i was like okay <laughs> I don't know why. I just it just sounds so funny to me. <laughs> it reminded me of conversations that I've had with Patrick from Kill by Kill, where he was always trepidatious of him and Gina going through the Scream films because they always do, you know, as we talked about last week on Witchboard, they mm-hmm. do a choose your own death venture. And he was like, well, what am I going to do? Stabbed in the back, stabbed in the gut, stabbed <laughs> in the forehead. It's all just a stab. <laughs> I would probably take that forehead death, to be honest. That seems like the least painful oh my god i also hate that death i just think it's dumb oh i like the death i just don't care right okay okay that's fair so we jump to the hospital it's a very brief scene but we do get to see dewey reconnecting with gail he pledges to stay with her forever and she makes him promise that he will catch the killer Mm -hmm. it's nice it's a good scene yeah, I mean, it's the last time we'll see Gail, too, until the very end. <laughs> true, true. Actually, also kind of true. Dewey, too. <laughs> yeah, more or less, because it, it's not about them. It's about Sydney and family. Right. So let's jump to the after party, which is the true third act bloodbath. We are <laughs> at Kirby's house, and we have Charlie, Robbie, and Jill all there. They're still talking about new rules. They're watching Stab 7. Again, I recognize that it's expensive to shoot fake movies. It's just an added thing that you would have to do. I would have loved if we could have had a different Stab film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I want to see Stab 2. Oh, you want you want to see what they would do with the Jada Pickett opening? Yeah, for stab sure. Two? Fuck, show me Stab Three. Let me see how they butcher Cotton's death. Leave it like okay. I'm putting this to you, but if you don't know, I'm also curious to know if the listeners know. Do they ever talk about Stab Four and what happens in that? Because that's the one that they don't have a rule book to go after, but they don't mention it in this film. Right. I don't think they do because we have the first three: five is time travel, six and seven we see. Act- yeah, mm-hmm. Stab Four is the only one we have no idea what's going on in that movie which maybe the idea was that this is stab four so like we're right. making it we're learning it we're seeing it uh, hmm, yeah that would make sense 
Although now I want to be like, oh, who plays Debbie Salt in <sighs> the Scream universe? <laughs> oh my god. I would cast Debbie Mazar. Oh, that is funny. No, but, it's, it, but hey, I love Debbie Mazar, but she looks evil. And maybe that's just because I have seen Beethoven 2 too many times. But <laughs> oh my I, god. No, you need someone who's kind of quirky and funny and goofy, like like Lori Metcalf is. Right. Okay, so Lake Bell. Oh my god. <laughs> Listeners, <laughs> send us your casting in for who plays Mrs. Loomis, Debbie Salt in Stab 2. Oh my god. And also make Stab 2. Yes, make Stab 2. <laughs> Honestly, if they ever remake the Scream franchise, I just hope they call it Stab. How funny would that be? They would not do that, but that would be amazing. It'd be really funny. <laughs> or just like throw piles, of, like just back up a dump truck of money to Robert Rodriguez's house and say, just make it in your garage like you do with all of your other movies. Yes. Here's $7,000. There you go. Basically, yeah. And we need two movies on that. <laughs> Okay, so, uh, yeah, so we're watching Stab 7, Charlie and Kirby are flirting, Trevor shows up because Jill texted him, which she denies. Who invited you, Trevor? My god, I think that line delivery is maybe, maybe, one of the reasons, one of the many, many reasons why I love Hayden Panettiere in this film. We've barely talked about her in this movie. Yeah. There's a reason why Kirby is so fucking iconic, and it's not just because she's a girl geek who knows horror movies. Like, there is something about her performance where she is leaping off the screen. I watched all of Heroes. Yeah, me too. She is okay in that. Like, I think she's doing what she can with a not great character. Mm-hmm. I like her in her Bring It On movie with Solange. I, I do too! I... <laughs> Bring it on all or nothing. <laughs> it's great. Folks, if you have not watched Bring It On All or Nothing, there is a moment where she has to learn how to like kind of crump and it's hilarious. She also farts in the opening scene. <laughs> Indeed. Yep. Yeah, because it is a Bring It On movie. <laughs> no, th- th- that movie is like surprisingly solid for a it's direct actually video. Good. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but like I've always enjoyed Hayden Panettiere and I think that this is kind of her apex performance. She has never been so sexy, so likable. She is rocking a haircut that I couldn't have imagined anyone successfully pulling well, off. W- 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 no, people complained about it like in the in the publicity photos. They were oh, like, what I the remember. fuck is up with Hayden? But it's because they knew her from Heroes, right? Like mm-hmm. she's the cheerleader. Save the cheerleader, save the world. Yeah. And she has like wormed her way into the hearts of so many horror fans. I mean, again, how many people have you seen be like, where the fuck is Kirby in Scream 5? You know? Oh my God, us. We have said that. <laughs> I, what I learned from that commentary, which I didn't know before, so it was in her contract that mm-hmm. she could not die on screen. Love like they it. could not show her dying, which yeah. is why, yeah, the last time we see her, she, her hand is moving or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, her and Jill, we don't actually have confirmed deaths for either of them. Uh, I would say Jill's pretty confirmed, but she was shot in the stomach or the chest, not the head, but I'm just saying there's, there's a very slight, but noticeable kind of eye facial twitch on Mm. Jill when you see her in her last, uh, shot. Got it. Um, but yeah, no, no, I mean, mean, no, I actually do think Jill is dead, but they could (laughs) easily bring her back because Scream has done it a million times. Yeah, that's fine. But no, I I agree. Panettiere, it does a lot. And again, like she doesn't even have like that much screen time, but she Mm -hmm. makes that impression. And she's kind of, I mean, I I hate even saying, oh, she's the replacement Randy, but like 
that kind of is the trajectory that this character has gone on yes. in the past 10 years. Yeah, and and I think as we have soured towards the character of Randy for being kind of incel prototype and mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. not great in terms of his stalker characteristics and other elements that we have come to move away from, Kirby becomes this alternative who is not just more suitable, but is actually more exciting. Yes, I would agree. And it's not just the fact that she's a woman. It's just like, she's just striking and that that's it <laughs> yeah and she's she's not gross like yeah <laughs> it's kind of refreshing she's not stalking jill to college <laughs> i mean in, unless we had gotten the second the, in this the, plan yeah. franchise <laughs> <laughs> but see in that case it would have been jill following kirby to college yeah very true yeah yeah <laughs> okay so uh Hicks is catching Dewey up as we see the teens kind of drifting apart. Jill goes upstairs. Robbie is drunkenly live streaming. Again, my reading of him as a queer character, he's giving the kind of play-by-play of Charlie and Kirby potentially hooking up. And at one point he says, my Charlie Walker. And I get that he's meant to be drunk and that it's his friend, but it also feels very, I'm in love with my best friend. Yeah, I can I can definitely I mean that that's that's coding, right? Like you're mm-hmm. reading into this, which yes. is fine. I've never thought about it that much. But I think it's only because the people that are like, "Oh, he's only saying he's gay to get out of being killed. He's yes. not really gay." has like wormed its way into my brain to where I'm like, "Oh, hey, that's canon for me." Yeah, I've always been the opposite where he's yeah. he's actually saying, "No, but I am gay. This is the rules. You can't kill me because of this." Yeah, and honestly, th- yes, that's totally fine. <laughs> well, it's just so funny because I always thought that my reading, I mean, oh, shocker, white man thinks his reading is the right one, but it never occurred to me that people thought otherwise until one day I said it to people and they said, oh, no, he's just saying it to get out of being killed. It never occurred to me to read it that way. I don't think the consensus is that he's not gay. I think it's, I, mean, I feel like I've seen a fairly even split on what people think, but I don't know. Mm. Listeners, let us know what you think about Robbie and like, is he gay? Is he or isn't he? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Let's out this fictional character once and for all. Is he, you know... Is he a little, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, meanwhile, Kirby is encouraging Charlie to make a move, and this is when Trevor cock blocks her. All of this is amusing and funny. Again, I like that Nico gets to have a bit of a moment here as Trevor when they're not play-acting as a creepy, <laughs> nefarious dude. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Robbie gets stabbed. This is obviously a Charlie kill. Um, yes. Because yes. Jill is technically upstairs because she comes down to say that Trevor isn't there. There, So I didn't mention these because I don't really think they're that important, but there are a few deleted bits here where it's like, after they go look for the phone, Jill and Trevor out by her car and he apologizes and he's like, I'm not the bad guy, but I'll help you look for your phone. I mm-hmm. know someone texted me from your phone. There's another bit where Robbie's walking around and we actually like, the camera like goes by a pillar and we actually see ghost face like it's like really close up because the, like robbie's on the other side <laughs> then he turns around and runs into trevor and then that's where we go to his death scene but it's like hmm. it's just more trevor stuff and you're just like right. meh yeah and i think at this point in the film we're trying to ramp things up we don't need more red herrings and false starts like we need to yeah. get to the murders yeah for me like yeah removing that fix like, fixes the pacing it's good for the pacing like right. cutting that out is a good decision they made yeah we're not losing anything it's for the best yes and again you're right we're we're, we're amping up here like we are in the home stretch mm-hmm. yeah so basically, Sydney arrives, and we learn, okay, shit, things are actually going down. So the three women end up hiding in Kirby's room because Ghostface has burst in. 
This is when Sydney calls Dewey. She's out on the roof. We get her tumbling this. off, which is another homage to the first scream. Oh, you're right. I've never even thought about that. But yes. To be honest, I only really caught it on this rewatch because I just talked about it in our 25 Reasons to Love Scream episode. I will say there are a lot of nods Mm -hmm. in this movie that I really haven't caught until this week, which is really silly considering I've seen this movie at least 20 times. (laughs) So many times, yeah. But but, but I think honestly, like, again, we're talking about yesterday, like, it's fan service done right, where it's like, it's there if you Mm -hmm. see it, if you don't, it doesn't matter. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, it pays off for the people who want to pay attention and keep track of the Easter eggs. And if not, it's just fine. It's like Sydney falling off the roof, escaping from Ghostface. Yeah. Okay, so Sydney and Kirby end up hiding in the basement. This is where we get this iconic scene, which I feel like if there's one moment that people associate with this film, it's very much like Jill's reveal for lack of a better term but Mm. also this moment where kirby just lists off every remake in the aughts and it is it's just everything name the remake of the groundbreaking horror movie in which the halloween uh texas chainsaw dawn of the dead the hills have eyes amityville horror uh last house on the left friday the 13th a nightmare on elm street my bloody valentine when a stranger calls prom night black christmas house of wax the fog uh piranha it's one of those right right it is awesome. It doesn't make a lot of sense as to why she wouldn't wait for the question, but <laughs> it is a really powerhouse moment because this is better a better film trivia moment than anything Randy has done for us, right? Oh, God, yeah. Like, this is like, oh, shit, like, you know your shit. Mm-hmm. I mean, the mention of Piranha, which came up the year <laughs> before, I was like, shit, that, it's not a deep cut, but it's like... You wouldn't expect that to be in the list of like big horror remakes, you know? Yeah, and it acknowledges that Piranha is a slasher as well. Yes. Oh my god. Oh yeah. <laughs> this is and the music that's playing is mm-hmm. so intense. It's so intense. I do love that moment when Charlie's outside begging to be let in, and like Sydney's like, "Don't let him in if you don't trust him." <sighs> and she, ha- you yes. see her make that decision mm-hmm. to not let him in the house. Well, and it's really interesting. So we we highlighted the lighting in the Deputy Judy scene with Sydney earlier. This is kind of Sydney's moment where she's in the shadow, almost speaking as this voice of wisdom in yes. Kirby's ear, right? But there's something kind of dark. Like this is Sydney the survivor saying, yeah. "Don't let a boy in if you don't trust him." Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she, a message and she for women, honestly. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, she then makes the decision to, like, run out there and, like, oh save him God. before getting a con- confirmation right. from Ghostface that, like, she won. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, she she's a little speedy on the gun, admittedly. So, I don't... Th- this actually, her, her quote-unquote death... Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's it's brutal. It's, it's really upsetting. But, yeah. like, it, it's Charlie's words to her. Like, he goes, Kirby, this is making a move. And he stabs her and he goes, four years of classes together and you notice me now? Mm-hmm. Stupid bitch, it's too late. And it's like, yeah. ooh, man. Ooh. Mm-hmm. That's your Randy. Yeah, really. I mean, this is Randy gone wrong, feeling entitled to the attention of a pretty girl. Like, yeah, it's dark and grim. I think it's probably one of the better moments uh, mm-hmm. yeah. for Charlie in this film. I don't love rory culkin 
not just because the hair is bad, but... I hate the hair. I, I just don't think Charlie's a particularly memorable character. You said yesterday in part one that he's arguably one of the worst killers in the franchise. Mm. And I think it's just because we, we don't get enough of him like a lot of the other characters. But this moment between the two of them, really, it's been building this entire film. And it is heavy with implication. And like those knife thrusts look yeah. really painful. Also, I, I understand the irony of us talking about don't comment on the women's looks. And then we're like, Rory Culkin's hair. Ew. So <laughs> observed, noted, checked. Uh, you know what? I feel like we we have a lot of catching up to do with the objectification of men. So I feel <laughs> very confident talking, especially as a queer man. You know what? If I see hair that doesn't do it for me, I'm going to call it out. That's fair. All right. <laughs> No, I realize we're hypocrites. Let's move no, on. No, it's fine. No, okay, so 85 minute mark. I haven't done timestamps all episode, but the, yeah, Charlie reveal 85 mm -hmm. minutes into this movie. And okay, again, people talk about, oh, like the hospital's too tacked on. Mm -hmm. If we didn't have the hospital, this movie would be 95 minutes long. Yeah. And we keep talking about how we want it to be longer. Yeah. Well, I guess the trade-off is you add in those like 20 minutes of deleted scenes and get rid of the 20-minute <laughs> hospital scene. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. I, I think at one point in the audio commentary, Wes Craven makes a joke like, this movie would have been two and a half hours. And I, you know what? I would have fucking watched it. it. I mean, this is why we have fan edits, because I'm convinced that we all just want this movie to be two hours and 20, two hours and 30. Give it to me. Give, give it to give me. Give it to me. I, I, if I hear that this new scream is like 90 minutes long, I'm going to be shattered. I think it's confirmed hour 56. Yes. Give it yeah. to me. Yeah, it's around there. It's it's, def it's definitely between hour 50 and two hours. Ugh, fantastic. Okay. So we go back to Sydney. Sydney's kind of out there. We don't know where Jill is. And then Sydney gets attacked by Charlie. She then runs down the hall towards the front door and is stabbed by Ghostface. Ghostface reveals the mask. It is Jill. Okay. So, A... I fucking love this. I, I know we've said this like for the past two episodes. But like, <laughs> for the past two this. episodes. For the past four years, folks, strap in. Trace has been waiting for this moment. <laughs> this is not only a brilliant bit of writing to make the character of Jill mm -hmm. the killer, which is, like again, you make the cousin of your final girl yep. the killer, mm -hmm. but also to put Emma Roberts in this role. And I think it's really interesting because as you and I both know, like after this, she has been typecast as a bitch from American yes. Horror Story to Scream Queens to even fucking Holiday. Mm -hmm. She's a bitch. And it's so interesting because when this movie came out, I don't think anyone called her as the killer. And listeners, if you did, good for you. Now I'm sure a couple of people did. But yeah, like going into it, the critical consensus was not like, oh, it's definitely going to be Jill. Right. And I have I have shown this to people, you know, in the, in the year since many, many people. And I will tell you right now that as the years go on, the people that peg Jill as the killer early in the movie <laughs> is astounding because it was like, oh, like, Emma Roberts always plays a bit. She's the killer. And I was like, but not when this movie came <laughs> out. <laughs> no, it's a hilarious hindsight kind of deal. Right. Because this movie changed the course of her career to the point where we now associate her with this. But at the time, yeah, you're absolutely right. She was the good girl. She she was, yeah, Nickelodeon, Hotel for Dogs, Nancy Drew. And mm -hmm. I remember seeing, I mean, again, delivering this monologue we're about to get from her when she is just dropping F-bombs. And yeah. I mean, I know people don't like her. I, I know that she has that domestic abuse thing mm -hmm. going on. But that being said, as a per, as a professional, as a performer... Right. I really do like her in this movie. I like her in these bitchy roles because obviously she's good at it. Yeah. 
I feel like people really give her a lot of shit, and I feel bad for her for that. You know, domestic abuse aside. But... Right. <laughs> but she runs away with this movie in these final scenes. Oh, absolutely. It, it feels not just like, okay, yeah, we're building up to the reveal of who Ghostface is. Obviously, it's a big moment in any Scream film. This captures the level of unexpected what the fuckery that we obviously did not get with roman in scream 3 oh yeah it feels like the best thing after mrs loomis well and this is the film saying something the film is making a statement on not only a generation but just i mean technology in general like mm -hmm. Again, like th that review I quoted yesterday where it's like, oh, this would feel more uh, apt coming out of a Kardashian's mouth, not like the killer in the screen movie. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, but th that's where we were as a culture back then, you know, mm -hmm. keeping up with the Kardashians. Like, that's what this is spoofing. <laughs> yeah, d I, I can't remember if it happened on air. I think it was after we stopped recording. I went back and I checked to see when The Simple Life was on. It was in 2002 that the oh, that, yeah. that show debuted. So like we as a as a culture obsessed with celebrity, but also to a certain extent nepotism, where we were starting to see mm. the children of famous people become famous in their own right for literally the thing that Jill talks about. I don't want to do anything. I just want to be famous. It was at least nine to ten years old at this point so yeah. for people to say oh well this is unexpected i would have expected this at a, a kardashian you're like that's what the film is commenting yes on. that's the point <laughs> it is baffling yeah and so yeah her physicality too because i always laugh because when they, they bring out trevor and mm -hmm. she does that line which is like here's one that fucks you dumps you and doesn't even make you famous and then she just keeps kicking him mm -hmm. yeah and then she does the cheating line. She shoots him in the dick. And then Oof. there is no ceremony to this either. It's basically kick, shoot, and then second shot in the head. Yep. It's rough, too, because we also have to hear... I mean, we don't like Trevor as a character. We don't know that much about him. He seemed like he's been shitty or shady the whole movie. But watching him plead for his life and she just shoots him in the forehead. Oh, yeah. Like... Ooh. He has no idea what's going on, no. which is also, it's almost sad. And I want to say, so to show you how stupid people can be sometimes. So, you know, she has this <laughs> oh, okay. line right before she kills him and she's like, you shouldn't have killed those people, Trev. Go on and put it on video even. But it means a lot that you did it for me. Um, I mm. swear to God, I swear to God, it was either in a comment section or maybe back when IMDb boards were still a thing. But someone was like, wait, wait so, so was Trevor he really involved? <laughs> Did she betray it? Was he the partner and she betrayed him? And I was like, no! Oh my God. Idiot. No. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, ready for act three, which is just the last 20 minutes of the movie. Yeah, exactly. So we, we start to go into it. Jill reveals that she resents Sydney's specialness. She and Charlie fancy themselves as the new Sydney and Randy. And it seems like they're very much on board. We get the really icky kiss between the two of them. We're just like, no, please. It makes no sense. Which even in the moment, you're like, gross. But then it makes sense because she's mm -hmm. a shit. Well, she's gaslighting him the way that she has with everyone else in this movie. She has that line delivery of the, um, I was so believable today, wasn't I? And I was like, ah! I started to believe all the lies I was telling. And she's so impressed with herself. What a fucking narcissist. Well, that's the right, that review yesterday where it was like the movie is smug no 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 no. jill, jill is, is smug, smug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh we should also note at this point that charlie 
basically doesn't last much longer. She ends up... He thinks that they're going to recreate the iconic Billy and Stu kitchen scene, and she just goes right for the chest. Oh, yeah. She stabs that fucker. I mean, he's almost as dumb. Oh, not how we rehearsed it. (laughs) The heart! The heart! (laughs) No, no shit, dude. She has killed you. (laughs) I do love that Sydney fills him in on it, though. She's like, you said it, Charlie. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Billy and Stu, Trevor, and you. Yeah. You are a dumb shit. She has played you this whole time. And then, of course, yeah, we start to get some of these iconic lines. So she doesn't want friends. She wants fans. Uh, she's sick as the new sick sane. The new sane and she's going to become famous despite not achieving anything. Uh, I, I, this is her delivery. What am I supposed to do? Go to college, grad school, work? But like, her <laughs> the eyes. worst possible outcome work she rolls her eyes on the delivery of work and it Mm -hmm. is i mean again this character is the embodiment of the worst traits of Mm -hmm. millennial slash gen z whatever you want to pick sure and it boggles my mind that the critics that were bitching about this movie didn't see that it was mocking a generation that they mock well, it's weird because they very clearly acknowledge it. The number of critics who address this, which also, this is the killer monologue, and you're actively spelling it out in your reviews, but <laughs> they they address it as though it's a facile, kind of very surface, very shallow criticism. And part of me is like, yeah, but nobody else is saying this in movies. And also, did you expect a Scream film to be talking about this? I mean, I feel like fans do because yeah. I listen to this and I think, oh, this is the update on Mickey. Well, yeah, y- yes, yes, you are correct. It is interesting, though, because, again, it's like people, critics, tripped over themselves to praise Scream and Scream 2. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting how, you know, 11 years after Scream 3, again, like the one quote-unquote failure in the franchise, and I'm using failure, obviously, Mm -hmm. lightly, how quick they were to be like, well, this didn't do it. And I do wonder if it's because, like, again, we're in a transitional period for horror. Like, Scream revitalized and resuscitated a dead genre. Right. It didn't need to be resuscitated at this point in time. And so Mm. I wonder if that was critics were like, why do we have this Scream sequel when we literally have an endless barrage of horror films coming out constantly? Which, yes, I could see it. But also that is so hypocritical because the amount of bemoaning at the end of the remake cycle, which is where we're at in 2011, Mm -hmm. everybody just kept saying, oh, well, horror is obviously creatively bankrupt because all we do is remake films from the 70s and 80s now. Yeah. It's like, yeah. okay, well, what do you want exactly? And this movie, well, is trying to remake Scream. Just a lot of those deleted scenes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is fascinating to me how the the two kind of points that Ari talked about, the remake idea versus the kind of celebrity fixation, like, they come together so well in everything that Jill is doing here, right? Yes. Yes, we're getting the remake, which is what Charlie thought he was signing on for, and then what Jill is giving us is the other counterpoint. And that's one of the reasons I love the dual villain role in scream is because the killers often have competing or contradictory motivations Mm -hmm. so this is also in keeping with franchise canon like i just love the fact that unlike Stu and billy in the first one where they have different motivations but they're on the same wavelength this is we have different motivations and we're on different wavelengths it's the killer is actively subverting the other killer we have never seen that before and it's so exciting well 
it, we kind of see it in Scream 2 with Mrs. Loomis and Billy. Oh, but fair. Okay. To, to a lesser extent, I see what you're saying. I, mm-hmm. but, but, but it's also a different relationship because she's like a mother to him. And she's obviously right. the age gap there. These are two teenagers. So I, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll give it to you. Like I, I get what you're saying because I... I thought the same thing yesterday and then I corrected myself. <laughs> right. <laughs> I will say though, thinking about this like far more than I usually do, because usually I'm just like throwing out a screen film because I fucking love it and I want to be right. entertained. This film feels, I think one of the other reasons maybe you and I respond to it so strongly is because it also feels like a perfect synthesis of one and two. Like it's a very obviously mm-hmm. remaking and paying homage to the first film, but it's also doing a lot of the things that number two did so well, right? Like yeah. Jill is Miss Loomis. We've got this subversion of killer motivations in an interesting way, like two. We've got mm-hmm. interesting set pieces-ish. Ish. If this film is lacking in one thing, it, it, there isn't a set piece that matches mm-hmm. those two and two, which is fine. Or, or even Cece's uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar's Kill and Two, which is fine. Like, mm-hmm. I think Olivia's stuff is memorable. I think the barn scene is memorable. It just isn't as memorable as those other set pieces. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But again, what is memorable to me is all of this climax. Like, yeah. we've talked about issues with this film. We've talked about problems with this film. This climax earns so much goodwill for me, especially with this self-mutilation scene we're about to get to, which is like peak cinema for me. (laughs) Oh my god. Okay, so let's get to it. So Jill is now the last woman standing, but she's got to make it look convincing. So Uh. she stabs Sydney just for good measure. So now Sydney's taken two. Jill begins. She grabs Trevor's hand and she scratches her own face and then she uses his hand to pull out her hair. So that's step one. Step one. She then props the knife against the corner and then stabs herself in the shoulder. Mm-hmm. She then breaks every glass surface available in the house. So she takes a running leap at this <sighs> painting on the wall. I mean, and wait, then wait, she... Th- okay, th- go ahead. Th- this, is, this is the one. Like, mm-hmm. th- her stabbing herself looks very painful. That's really good. But the visual... It's funny and upsetting at this... It's shocking at the same time. Because she... Yeah. yeah. She runs... And she doesn't bounce off the wall. <laughs> she just goes head first into it. Head first and just dumps, like falls, dumps, falls on the ground. Yeah. If you have not seen this movie, just Google this scene because this, this visual is so good. It's so great. It's high camp in a way. Not, yes! not in a traditional sense. Like it's not, it's not campy in that way, but the, the intersection between deeply upsetting self-mutilation violence but also her reactions to it like she she's selling the pain that accompanies each of these actions but she's also unwilling to stop because she knows she has to make it convincing and there is it's just fascinating to watch and Emma Roberts screaming when she stabs herself in the shoulder and then like when she runs into the wall and she just kind of picks herself up and she just sort of trudges over to the coffee table and then has to take this giant fucking leap in the air which we get to see in beautiful slow motion (laughs) I oh that's great well I also love it too because this is maybe I'm wrong here a definitive statement but it's really the only time in the franchise where we've seen a killer unmasked literally and metaphorically with no one else around them they are just Mm -hmm. being themselves and (laughs) this girl is a crazy fucking bitch and embraces it and runs with it (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> and then it all finishes with this frankly beautiful visual symmetry where she mirrors mm-hmm. Sydney's pose so that she can be the final victim. Yep. Yep. And I mean, again, and what may have been the original ending is her being wheeled out in these stretches with all these fucking cameras going off on her face. Mm-hmm. It It is really good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it keeps going. It does. Here's the thing. I really like this hospital set piece. It is sillier. It does dilute the impact of what just came before ever so slightly. A little bit. Yeah, because we've we've hit this high point and then we have to kind of reset and build it back up again. But the movie acknowledges it. And I I, I get it, you know, just because the movie acknowledges it doesn't make it not true. Mm -hmm. But that earns a lot of goodwill with me. Well, I think also the way that people were just absolutely wringing their hands about the potential loss of any one of the three main cast members to have ended the film this way, people would have absolutely defaulted to assuming that Sydney was properly dead. And I just I don't think the franchise can kill Sydney at this point because you will lose the goodwill of fans to such an extent that people would never forget the film. Yeah, and we'll see if uh, that holds true in a couple weeks. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> but, um, but no, no. So again, more Robert's praise. We have her talking to Dewey, and mm-hmm. as soon as he's like, she might make it, the the eye acting <laughs> on Emma Roberts. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> you can see her break character, like, just so slightly, just for a split second to be like, what the fuck are you talking about? I mm-hmm. killed her. My Don't God. stab her in the stomach next time, Jill. Yeah, like go for the slit throat, people. That's how you. That's how you get rid of somebody. And I get that people may have that critique, but I'm like, no, 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 because they were trying to match wounds. That's what she was doing. Mm-hmm. No, no, shouldn't stab her. No, never mind. I have no excuse for that. Oh, okay, okay. I mean, I think she just like when you stab someone twice in the gut. Yeah, I think you probably think you've done a decent job. <laughs> that's true. That's uh, that's fair. Okay, so we do get a quick moment where Dewey is talking to Gail, thinking that it's all over, and Gail, of course, connects the dots because she's really fucking good at her job. So we realize, oh shit, it is Jill. Uh, Jill is already on her way over to Sydney. In the emptiest hospital in the world. Yeah, super empty. Um, Just because I haven't talked about it, I'm going to give myself a shout out back in our Black Christmas episode when we got to the hospital sequence that ends that film. I said, hey, doesn't Scream 4 rip this off? Because Black Christmas comes out before this film and they're very similar sequences. Yeah, yeah, that is actually not an accurate statement. Yes, yes, it is. Because Hayden Panettiere (laughs) and I are always right. We talked about that. That's true. Anyway, okay. Um, So we've got Jill versus Sydney Redux. And I will say, this hurts. Mm -hmm. Sydney takes so many punches to the stomach where she has been stabbed twice. I, I, well. (laughs) Ouch, just so much ouch. Well, hey. Yeah, she does her like, you know, you just won't die, will you? But she she starts strangling her, Uh but then Sid Palm heals her in the nose, and Uh then Joe tries to gouge her eye out. Well, then she just starts beating the shit out of her. They are on the floor. She knees her in the gut, Mm -hmm. goes, how are those stitches? I mean, this is messy, sloppy, and I fucking love it. Yeah, because this is something that Jill didn't plan for right like she doesn't have a perfect escape route for this she's just got to kill this bitch before she gets discovered and i i love how that gets reflected in the fight well and 
I've seen people be like, well, Jill's really dumb. How is she going to get away with this? And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I think this bitch is in flight or fight mode. Like, oh, she isn't thinking I'm getting away with this at this point. She is just like not thinking straight. Well, I think in her mind, all she has to do is kill Sydney and then she will figure it out later. But if Sydney is dead, then her cover remains intact because she doesn't know that Dewey knows. She doesn't know that Gale knows. So she's right. just like, I just got to kill this bitch once and for all and I'm out. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the end of the movie was supposed to be at the house. I mean, this is just <laughs> silly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that is my new favorite line from this movie. It never connected with me because I'm one of the people who hasn't loved the hospital sequence. Like I right. was that person. Yep. So I, I've been coming around to it. And that line in particular. And Emma Roberts, again, her delivery. Uh, this is just silly. Silly. <laughs> it's so good. I mean, I remember watching this. I was just like, who knew Oh, she had it in her for no. this performance. Yeah. Who knew? No one. Except apparently the casting agent and Wes Craven and everyone else on this movie. <laughs> so I also want to give a credit to David Arquette because he was the one who apparently came up with the idea to get absolutely beaten with a bedpan. Oh, I love that. Again, it's silly. It's This is silly. It's silly, but it's also really rough. Like, mm -hmm. that is a metallic bedpan Taking that thing to the head the number of times that he does, he he honestly would probably be dead, but it's it's rough. But it also yeah. is like, oh, you're you're hitting someone repeatedly with the thing that people urinate in. Oh yeah. <laughs> Another good comedic beat, and I'm jumping ahead just a tiny bit, but it's once we have Gail and Judy in this room mm -hmm. and she's like, you know, hostaging Dewey, like, get up, I'm gonna blow Dewey's head off. Mm -hmm. And there's this moment when Judy and Gail look at each other, like <gasps> Yeah. We both love this man. We can't afford to lose him. <laughs> yeah. And then Jill shoots Judy. Yeah. So I think it is a little ridiculous. Maybe, as you said, she is in flight or fight mode. But I think it's a little ridiculous that Jill doesn't hear Sydney powering up this defibrillator. Well, Gail um, distracts her, but it's fine. I mean, I also have a question as to why uh, when she is, you know, defibrillated in the head that her reflexes don't squeeze the trigger on that gun. Mm, yeah, that's also fair. But again, we'll allow it. Again, yeah. So this this is a kind of over-the-top second climax to the film. Yeah. I get why people don't like it. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's just so damn fun. I I think it works because it brings the three back into play. And yeah, mm. it's like, hey, did you get enough Jill? Because she's back and she's still zany. Yes, it's like, without this, we wouldn't get these lines from Emma Roberts. <laughs> exactly. And isn't it a gift, folks? Come on, really. It is a gift. So one of the other gifts that we get is this fucking power move of Sydney's where she zaps Jill and then says, you forgot the first rule of remakes, Jill. Don't fuck with the original. <laughs> oh, it's great. I don't dislike that line. Like, I, I do like it. I don't love it as much as everyone else does. Okay, says the person who literally incorporated it into yesterday's opening, but sure. Oh, because it works, context-wise. <laughs> <laughs> and, and maybe it's just because Sydney often gets these kind of quips, but it doesn't feel as much in character as someone like Gail. Right. But I like that we get to end the movie with a Sydney powerhouse move. 
100%. Yeah, I do agree with you. But we don't really end the film there because we end the film with our killer's face. Indeed. Yeah, we, we have to confirm that Judy is still alive. She oh. wore a bulletproof vest, but... Uh... Save your chest. <laughs> As she always <laughs> says. Yeah. And then she just passes out. <laughs> oh, the wacky comedy of Marley Shelton. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And then we get another mirror image as Sydney and Jill are reflected in each other, except this time, yes, we're meant to assume that Jill is properly dead. Sydney turns away. And then this is actually, I think that this is really daring and fucking mm-hmm. ballsy, is we yeah. end the scene with the reporters talking about the hero, Jill Roberts, American survivor. And that's how the movie ends. Like the message is already out there. Jill wins she gets her moment so yeah we see the reporters doing this then it switches to voiceover as we just close in on jill's dead open-eyed face and that that that's how the movie ends Mm -hmm. like this isn't a victory for sydney this is a victory for jill yeah and i get it you know they're gonna come out and be like hey y'all by the way she's a murderer um but that's the thing there would be people who immediately would dispel that they would think that mm -hmm. it was a conspiracy there would be people who wouldn't hear that and they would mistake it and they would talk about Jill and her name would go in infamy. People would confuse this and she would get her revenge in that way. I mean, that's the thing too, right? This is fake news before fake news was a yep, popular term. It sure fucking is. Mm-hmm. Again, people, we're talking about a movie from 2011 anticipating things from the entirety of the next decade of all the 2010s yeah. it's 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 so great and one tiny thing so there was an epilogue that was added onto this that they rightfully cut out okay it's back in the hospital the next day or something and reporters are talking about jill and we see dewey and gail go to sid's room judy tells gail there are lemon squares next to sydney's bed oh my god i love the lemon squares but i don't need it a third time no and apparently gail promised judy that she would be kind to her in her book about it but then okay. they go in and you know gail's talking about writing a book and then she's like wait Sydney, are you gonna write a book and she goes no eh, maybe mm-hmm. and then they just like all laugh together and then black out right ha 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 hmm. yeah it, it's really awkward it's really bad and like maybe that's why i'm so kind to the hospital epilogue because i'm like y'all we could have gotten <laughs> it this. could have been so much worse <laughs> yeah they they all honestly look uncomfortable yes they do Mm -hmm. like no none of us really buy this this isn't the way to end this movie (laughs) but um (sighs) that is oh my god two and a half scream four y'all that is scream four (laughs) i'm really glad we split these up into two episodes (laughs) yeah i mean honestly we wanted to do this right and we knew we weren't going to be able to keep it brief so hopefully folks have enjoyed these monster episodes but like scream four demanded it yeah i mean it's yes we have been building up to this for three years just and i hope we did it justice i mean i realize this one's a lot of like i love this i love this i Mm -hmm. love this but you know what i love this (laughs) and i refuse to apologize for it yeah (laughs) so that has been scream for everyone again scream 2022 comes out in a few well next week actually so Mm -hmm. be on the lookout for our patreon episode after that but um i guess Oh, wait, I guess I have a housekeeping. <laughs> a little bit a little bit of housekeeping. You know, it, it's the first episode back for the new year. I'll cut you some slack. I totally forgot. Um, so before we announce what we're covering next week, um, if you want to get in touch with us, please reach us on Twitter and Instagram at Horror Queers. 
join our Facebook Horror Queers group to hang out with other listeners, and find us on Letterboxd to keep track of all the films we've covered. You can also go check out our YouTube channel. And to celebrate the new year and this amazing one-two punch of Scream 4 episodes, you should go leave us a review on your podcatcher of choice, be it Apple Podcasts or now Spotify, because you can leave reviews on Spotify now. Mm Mm-hmm. If you want even more content, please support the show by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash horrorqueers. So go subscribe because we will have episodes on, as we've already mentioned... Just a few times, yeah. <laughs> Scream, Last Night in Soho. Uh, we'll also have our mini-sodes on the 2021 Hereditaries, our horror version of the Oscars, as well as a little indie film called See For Me. And our audio commentary for the month will be on last year's Psycho Goreman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to try something a little adventurous with our audio commentaries this year. We're going to do anniversary films. Which, we're also kind of doing that a little bit for our next few months of coverage, Joe. Indeed, yeah. So, folks, you know that every January we kind of have a bit of a theme or something that ties the films together. And instead of going with, oh, we're going to cover four films in a franchise or something like that, that seems a little too obvious, we decided in recognition of Scream 4 and how it was not appreciated in its time, it was underseen and underappreciated, we ended up coming up with this theme of, well, what are the other underappreciated or underseen films that we would celebrate? So for 2011, it was Scream 4. And next week, we're going to move into 2012. And we will continue to do so all the way until we catch up with the present. So every week is going to be one year forward. And we're not going to tell you what the films are immediately, because we want to hear what film you think we should cover. So you have a couple of days. Tell us what film you think we would cover in 2012 as an underseen or underappreciated film. And then keep an eye out on our social media. We will tell you on Friday what film you should watch so that you can be ready for next week's episode. And that is how it's going to be moving forward. So every week we're going to say, hey, it's a a movie from this year. Every Friday, check our socials. We will tell you what it is. Mm -hmm. So 2012, get your thinking caps on. And go to Google. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Indeed, yes. But until next week, we can cross out once and for all, finally, oh my God, Scream 4. Oh my god, fuck me wow. Yes, uh, (laughs) and cross out horror queers.